Good afternoon, everyone. Another day in paradise. Um, my gosh. Just as we, if, when you think things couldn't get any worse, something else happens. I picked that song. Um, it's very appropriate, actually. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's sad. If you look at the lyrics, and I posted it to Twitter, I think I just changed one word. I put crashing in capital letters, and otherwise the song stays. Uh, I got the idea, crazy idea. Uh, if you follow my Twitter feed, I went to the uh, Celtics game against Dallas yesterday in Boston. I'm a diehard Celtics fan. I do bleed green. Um, and they had the retirement of Kevin Garnett's number one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And for those of you who have ever been to a Celtics game, in his day, they would tend to play um, that song before the game. And he was very zen-like and would get in the zone. And I don't know, I just every time I hear that song, I get shivers. It was incredibly inspirational to go to the number retirement uh, ceremony. Again, it's in my Twitter feed. I put a couple clips in there um, to see someone. You know, he's why they thought it was... NBA, be an NBA Hall of Famer, one of the 50 greatest players to have ever played the game. Um, just a real competitor, a warrior, and um, just just a great ball player. Okay, so to the issue at hand, we didn't come here to talk about Phil Collins or the Celtics. Um, I'll go on a rant for a couple minutes, as I usually do, and I see we have some really smart folks in the room, as always. You guys are the ones that make this room great. Uh, my good friend Tom Thornton, my good friend Marcellus, my good friend Frank Capillary, and we'll get some of the other guys up here before this room gets going for too long. So just a couple of thoughts, um, just to kind of start the party, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons. Today's action was truly horrendous, but I can't say not foreseen for anyone who's been in these rooms. Uh, I think John Roke put a good tweet out pointing out that, you know, the market was horrendous. Yields went up. Bond prices went down. Hello? If you're running a 60-40 portfolio, call your office, please. I think you got a problem. So, and I put something in the in the, in the the feed the other day, and again, I, I do have some original ideas, but I basically traffic on other people's ideas. Just listen to other smart people, but I do give attribution. I don't try to expropriate them as my own. Someone uh, from out of London, I think, put the other day, uh, macro advisors, I think, talking about how more liquidity is not the solution. It's actually the problem. So I think the stock market and risk assets are between a rock and a hard place. It really is kind of mind-boggling, especially when you consider where we were a year ago. It wasn't a cloud in the sky. So whether it's uh, an existential crisis, possibly the end of civilization, if Putin does something stupid, or now today, um, or, or the price of oil, which already was going to the moon before this happened. But I think we caught this downturn pretty well and saying, get out of the way. And I want to give a big shout out to Tom Thornton, who nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. So well done, Tommy. Um, and it just goes to, and I think it actually forms a basis for a bigger discussion about avoiding Twitter mobs. Um, I, I've, you know, I'm a paid up, fully paid up member of the Canadian Oil Mafia. But three aces, I hope he comes in the room today. He was calling it out a week ago, like, this is just out of control. And yeah, longer term, it'll go up and to the right, but not not right here, not right now. And Tom Thornton nailed that, so I salute you, sir. Um, 
I give Tom a, a follow and again, uh, I have no commercial relationship with Tom, but he has his own research service, hedge fund telemetry and the bang for the buck is phenomenal. So ask him about his service and just tell him George sent you, even though he didn't tell me to say that, but just tell him George sent you, I'm sure I'll treat you well. Um, so in any event, you know, oil, oil, oils, oil, commodities, all this stuff has just gone up enormously. Who knows? Hopefully we won't have a nuclear war. Uh, sure. Investor positioning is just insane. Uh, again, look at my Twitter feed. Uh, I just steal things from other people. S&P futures positioning, at least one thing I look at is, you know, above average. You still have uh, you know, the fact that more money came into equity use last year from individuals in the prior 20 years combined. Um, look at the hedge funds. Some of them are going to be having going out of business sales. They just don't know it yet. They haven't scheduled it yet. But I'm going to make a prediction here. The likes of Melvin Capital, Tiger Global, D1, CO2, Whale Rock, etc. This is going to be an epic, epic year. A lot of these guys are down huge already, and they're not going to be able to come back. And the worst part of it is they're locked in, they, they're, especially in the liquids. And, you know, Kathy Woods is right. I, I will agree with Kathy Woods on one thing. There is an arbitrage that's opened up between the uh, private values, you know, the, the unicorns, the private companies, and the public ones, except Ms. Woods has it the wrong way around. Uh, the public ones have already crashed 50, 60%. And the private ones, the marks are stale. They're still hanging up there. So if you take enough hopium, she would have you believe that her, her stocks are going to go up to the private ones. Well, we know how that's going to work. You're going to see marks, big markdowns. Starting, I expect, at the end of this quarter because some of the public mutual funds, the Fidelities, T. Rowe Prices, Black Arcs of the world, some of these guys have been stuffing privates in their portfolios. They're going to have to mark them down. And that's going to force um, the hedge funds uh, that own a lot of this rubbish to market down. Kind of interesting if, if anybody in the room has an insight on this. You know, Tiger Global, already a few weeks ago, they um, announced they were going to start taking money again from outside investors. Then last week, they raised a billion dollars in a debt issue. What's the matter? A little tight on cash? Keep, keep in mind, they're invested in a lot of cash flow negative companies, which require ongoing amounts of capital raising. So I think there's going to be a lot of bankruptcies in this area. I really do. Um, and so I, I, I would just run that walk as fast away as possible from any of this private stuff. And then when you get within the market, you know, we've all been talking about all the Griot sort of Captain Obvious 101 stuff right now, the rotation. Uh, the funds, you know, it doesn't matter, it's real money, hedge funds, whatever. We're all just positioned the wrong way. They all own the same wrong garbage. Um, you know, Energy is 2.5% of the S&P, and materials is 2% of the S&P, and you know, Apple's still bigger than twice the energy sector, and yada, 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 yada. And um, I think, Tom, again, I salute you. You were pointing to some of the generals breaking down you know, Apple and whatnot. I mean, that chart looks just horrendous. Um, so I can find a lot of good shorts still, Tommy, I'm more negative than you are. I, I just think if, uh, I, I know you were, you were starting to find some green shoots, but, um, and this is not public television, so it's, it's my room. I can say what I want. I, I think you might be guilty of premature speculation there. Uh, don't you hate when that happens? Um, and the thing I'm struck by is sentiment's kind of negative, 
but to invoke my inner Walter Deemer, markets bottom. It's not when people turn bearish accounts, it's when they're done selling. And I think sentiment data may have changed, as you've been very good to point out. But I don't think positions really have. And there's a sort of Pavlovian response, this learned behavior from over a decade of buying the dip. People haven't sold. It's remarkable. I mean, hedge funds have sold, but not the other investor groups. I mean, things you don't see at the bottom. Kathy Wood's taking $850 million in six weeks. Are you kidding me? I mean, I can go on and on and on. Point is, the position is all wrong. And I don't see who the buyer is for this stuff. I, I can see a lot of people want to sell. But against the backdrop of, even if you think the market's not going to be as bad as I suggest, the ongoing rotation, the inflationary environment, the bond yields going up, and if you don't need any question about bond yields are going to go up, just look at the bond price action today. That's not helpful for long-duration assets. So even if you're not as bearish as I am, I think all the crap, the Kathy Wood stocks and all the long-duration stocks, it's just not where you want to be. Uh, I hope and I expect that we're going to get a chance to buy these energy stocks again. But with all due respect to my friends, and I say friends in the Canadian oil mafia, I don't think it's so so convenient, so so neat as oh, you know, it'll just go down to a hundred and oh, well, this crashed levels not seen three weeks ago or some dumbass tweet that I put out like that. No, I, I think the way these things work usually it'll scare people. It's got to go down enough to scare people. So then, like, and I say this to my friends, so even you know, let's let's be real. The Canadian oil mafia in three aces. I hope he shows up. He's been so right on this. It kind of like took on a the rooms kind of took on like AMC apes like proceedings. And we don't need that. We just don't need that. Um, there's good reasons on energy stocks. But the problem is when you have the Jim Cramer tourist crowd check in in the last, you know, four to eight weeks, we got to get them out first. And it may take a bigger decline to get them out. At any rate, enough of that rant. You didn't come here to listen to me. I just start the party. And with that, I'm going to, first we're going to go, here's the order we're going to go. We're going to do Tom Thornton first, and then we're going to do Frank Capillaris, who can have dueling, dueling technicians here. And then we'll follow with Marcellus, and there'll be more to go. So with that, Mr. Tommy Thornton, always good to see you. Bravo on your energy call. Um, it's been a few days since we were last together. Uh, what's noteworthy from where you sit, Tom? Hey, George, um, that was very nice of you. Um, I really appreciate those nice comments. Um, well, you know, this is the time um, in the market where, you know, at extremes that you either get it real right or you get it real wrong. And, um, you know, so I, you know, it's funny because I, I came on uh, and I, there's a lot of energy people in here and I, you know, I, I really... I don't hold back on anything I think or see, or I really don't have any bias at all um, in any market. I just show what I'm seeing in the, with my data and then I'll go with it and try and, you know, like making sausage, uh, find a way to make money long or short either way. So um, yeah, market sentiment on all of the commodities, including crude was at um, 96% last week and 96% for two days in a row. <clears throat> that's, that's extreme. And, 
really extreme. And I, I think I've only seen uh, the daily sentiment index at 97% at the high, uh, the highest I've ever seen. And, you know, wheat was at 96. Um, and, and above 80 is an extreme. So these were just at levels that were unsustainable. And I, I came on and I, I think I, I might have mentioned I, I shorted energy, you know, energy ETFs and I shorted crude and yeah, covered the, covered it the next day. Just yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard there was a fatwa out on you. There was a, there was a, the Canadian, <laughs> the Canadian oil mafia. Joke, uh, joke. This is a joke. The Canadian oil mafia knows I live long, live too far from you, and they want your home yeah, address. I know. It's I know. it's. I like to say it's not it's not personal. It's just technical. Hey George, I think you accidentally muted. Okay, all right, we're back. Go ahead, Thomas. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. So hey, so I, I, in my excitement, I, I hit the wrong buttons. Thanks for that, so hey. Go ahead, Tommy. Back up about five seconds, please. Uh, sorry, sorry, Thomas, you, you have to unmute. You got to unmute, Tommy. Sorry, can you hear oh, me? Sorry. Yeah, so sorry, Tommy, back. You, you could back up five or ten seconds, please. It was my bad. Okay. Um, well, as I like to say, it's not. It's for all the mafia and people on the other side of any trades I ever do. It's not. It's not personal it's technical and i um i don't really i don't hold back uh if i see things um setting up long or short it, it really doesn't matter to me uh, i put a lot of you know it's not just one indicator or one sentiment indicator it's a lot of different things that mash together and it creates a bit of a sausage like um, delicacy the way i invest but all the commodity sentiment was just unsustainable and i knew that this was gonna give way um and like i look at things and i, I looked at air airlines for example and jet fuel jet fuel uh, off the highs when we had uh demark uh sequential and combo exhaustion signals on the high the high day it's off about 25 percent and airlines uh, are still I bought airlines um, profitable in most of them that I, I bought when they were down and they were down 30%. And now jet fuel is down 25% off the highs. I think those are buys and I'm, I'm looking for buys right now. I'm not, I, I I'm as bearish as it gets. I covered or I, I sold uh, some spy and Q put spreads that I had expiring this week. You know, luckily, you know, I made two and a half percent on average with those. It was great. I bought some call, call spreads um, for this Friday because I think there's potentially a relief rally coming. Uh, I do think that it's been always that thought, George, that we would see the generals start to give way and seeing Apple fall apart. And, and the news with Apple is bad, too. Uh, so it's, it's going down. It's got probably a little bit more downside. Um, you know, it's hard to really target apple as a major short unless the factories do close and there's a real real disruption i mean the, the their buyback guys got his elbow on the buy button all day so it's it, you're fighting against uh, a pretty formidable uh, force if you're trying to short apple and i i was short apple i covered it a little early oh well uh so yeah it's ugly out there you're seeing all the the worst crappy names get hammered uh which that tells you something that those are the ones that people have been trying to buy the dips 
they've been trying to buy the garbage names, um, let's say Shopify. Uh, they've been trying to buy that. Uh, all the Chinese internet names. I get people, I had people call me today talking about stuff and saying, I'm buying, I'm scooping uh, K-Web today. And I was like, oh God. And I bought Alibaba at like, I think 98 recently and I sold it the next day because it went down on basically news that I didn't like and I, I lost 6%. I was like, I have no bone to pick in this one. I'm not convicted in this and I'm not fighting against the Chinese and US governments which seem to have a target on all these Jap or uh, Chinese internet names. So I just, I said audios, but I think that there's still a lot of people out there that are trying to buy the dip. I think there's still capitulation that could possibly happen. And my call has been overall in the indices, uh, a situation where we would uh, make lower highs and then lower lows. And I use, as everyone knows, DeMarc indicators, and we're starting to see the DeMarc sequential, uh, which is the red 13 trigger. I think we're on day 12 with the S&P and the Qs and the NASDAQ um, 100 composite all had the sequential. But then there's another one called the combo, which is sort of a, a little bit more strict version. And that varies from day, day 10 to day 12. And that needs new lows. And I believe just hinting Tom DeMarc was kind of thinking about this as well. So yeah. that's so something you, I'm watching. Yeah, Tom, right let, me ask, let me ask something. So yeah. um, you were talking about how, you know, it's always the way of the evidence. And you, you were very clear. You said it a couple times last week. You started to see some improvements in some places. So things are starting to become less bad. My question to you is, since you made, last time we were together a few days ago, just by dint of the price action the last couple of days, has that continued or has that kind of gone into a little bit of uh, you know, is it, is it kind of got, got into uh, th that improvement gone into remission and we kind of like stalled out of the improvements? So the last couple of days, how have your indicators changed? Well, th th actually, it's the good news is that we're getting closer to those 13s. We needed more, uh, another move lower on the downside. And whenever we do see those moves lower on the major indices, uh, that, that means the big cap, mega cap names are falling apart. And you saw it today. Like, right. and, and so that's usually a sign that when those guys start to give up, sure, uh, we're getting closer. Um, IWM has a 13 today. Uh, we might, you know, might see a, a bit of a bounce. I also am looking at market sentiment and the da daily sentiment index Hot off the press, uh, NASDAQ is at 10%. It hit that in, I think it was the first low that we had that we still haven't broken. Sure. And the S&P is at 12, and we, we were at 11 um, last week on uh, right, right, the so low Tom, for so S&P. Let, let me ask you, so we're always dealing with probabilities and, and not certainties, and this mm -hmm. is an art, not a science. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's True. possible from these low, low sentiment levels, the market, you know, craps out just like it's mm -hmm. possible if you and i play pickup basketball and you've made you know three three-pointers in a row intoxicated with your success 10 feet behind the line you're still hoisting them up it's possible you may it may go in again so i guess my question to you is like as you sit right here right now and, and i remember and you're not paying me to say it, it's just a fact i remember in december of 
2018. We were on the phone. You went over to London. You were sick as a dog in a hotel. And I remember you telling me, I'm seeing all these DeMarcs pop up as potential buys and blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, you're so sick, you're delirious on your flu. You didn't know what the hell you're talking about. And you were right. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so, so I get it. Okay. But, but, but nothing's, nothing's fail proof. So let's argue against yourself. State the null hypothesis. What would you have to see for you to be wrong other than just price? Like, one of the things that bothers me, to be real candid with you, is, I mean, okay, so I, I have some theory of everything you said. But so that's all true. But what's also true is, Markets only really crashed from oversold weak levels. So, you know, what would tell you, what would you have to see to suggest that you're wrong other than we just come in one day and the whole thing's through the floor? Like, what's, what's the chance you're going to be wrong? What would you be looking for if you were going to be wrong? What, what, would, you, what would you need to see? Like, what, what would be a tip-off to you? What smoke alarm would go off telling you, uh-uh, your, your high percentage shot is not going to work this time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um Usually it's time and not necessarily price. And I, I would say that through my experience of, of using, you know, combining sentiment and some of the other indicators, I think we're just a matter of time and it could be, maybe it's two weeks, but I, I think that there's, there's overwhelming evidence with a lot of different in, internal indicators that give you, give me the thought that, you know, holding a ball underwater, it's going to come to a point where it's going to, it's going to go back up. And I think the other thing is, um, you know, back in, in December of 2018, you weren't the only one that thought I was delirious. Um, I was actually in very sick in a hospital or not hospital, but a hotel room on a family vacation of all things. That was fun. Um, but there, there was just way too much, um, bearishness at that time. And there was, at that time, there were no catalysts that I could see uh, happening that could lift the market higher. Uh, I didn't really anticipate Powell would come around and, and pivot like he did, but I just knew that there was, there was, it didn't take much for it to move up. And Got it's it. kind of this, it's kind of the same way when we, we get the market. Was it, was it at all, all time highs last year? Uh, let's go back a year, let's say, you know, the January, February level last year when stocks only went up and, you know, sports, you know, commentators were, you know, market gurus on TV. And that that was actually an important time because that meant the bubble got so big that it didn't take much. Um, let's say you're just throwing it around the room and trying to play that game where you keep it off the floor. And if, you, if it poked into something a little sharp, it would pop. And right now, I think the bubble's very deflated, and you can basically hit it pretty hard. And any sort of positive good news, any perceived positive good news, we already saw a preview last week when Europe went up 8% in a day. That's the preview of what could happen here. Right, got and, it. And, and so we have two catalysts, and, and I'll kind of leave it. Okay, we've got Ukraine and, and Russia. And it it sounds awful and terrible, but it hasn't gotten actually, I, I mean, from what, I, I mean, I know everything's getting blown up and it's just awful, but it hasn't gotten any worse. There hasn't yeah, been. Yeah, we, you have a time of year, a second derivative guy. They're blowing people up. They're killing people. But, I, but, I, but, I, but, but, but the rate of increase in the blowups and the deaths 
It's not accelerating. So second derivative is well, negative. I, I know, I know, George. I know. And this is like totally how George <laughs> yells be... at me and you know gives me a hard time when we're doing our own calls. But you know, honestly, I think that there's a lot of talk that there could be some communication happening. I mean, the other thing is, does Putin really want Ukraine after he's blown it to smithereens? I mean, honestly, he's going to have to pay for it. I, I don't think it. he's going to do that. But then we have then we have the Fed this week. And I, there's absolutely no way um, that they're going 50 basis points. They should, but they're only going to go 25 because I don't think they need to, you know, shit on the market any more than it's already being crapped on. And that's, a, you know, get the big bad event out of the way. It's a known known rather than an unknown. And the market could say, okay, fine, 25 basis points. You can live with that. It. And it could bounce. Right. The other thing. It's a bounce. It's going to make a lower high bounce and then lower. So, Tommy, why don't you rest? Thanks for that a lot. All right. So, we got a a really good room here. Um, Three aces, my friend, keeps bouncing up and down. I don't know if he's sick of me because I didn't recognize him or his app is getting jiggy on him. All right. So, in any event, um, and I see we have John Roke in the room, the chart life. If he'd like to come up, this would be awesome. So, okay. So, uh, we're going to do Frank Capillary and then Michael Gayad. And then Marcellus. Frank, good to see you. How you doing? What's up? What's on your mind? Hey, George. Thanks a lot. Got quite a following here. It's honored to be here. And this, uh, is, let me this, just see. this is the Bears, Bears Den, I think. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So one thing, I'll just say that um, I met Tom Thornton in 2018. Tom, I remember that well because one of the reasons why I wanted to seek your attention. It was because I completely missed the 2018 vol blow up and you seem to catch that one and many others. So my just knew like my training has always been classical chart patterns and such, you know, more so in the trend following, but I just felt that there was something missing in that. And, you know, just looking at regular indicators can help you, but I really didn't have a handle and never really looked into the market indicators. And, you know, Tom introduced me to, his work I'm following ever since has really helped in times like this because you know you, you, you see some patterns develop and you realize that it's getting to a point where maybe you know the a stock here and there was up 10 or 15 percent getting to a breakout point you have some confidence even though it may not work and then you notice that there's you know a budding 13 coming you know that just gives me pause and it's helped a long way so anyone who wants any type of Tutelage in that this is Tom's type of market, so I would definitely jump on his uh, his offering while you can. Um, so that being said, yeah, again, the way I look at the market is from a pattern perspective first, and and so one thing to look at is that you know markets trend, but within those trends, you have either bullish patterns working or bearish. Very simple to put. And so over the last a number of years like to create this proprietary indicator which just tracks the frequency of bullish and bearish patterns in the S P five hundred and more importantly how successful they are. So if you look at you know what's happened since the thousand twenty low up until until recently, needless to say it's been uh, an uptrend. But within those, every consolidation phase was resolved to the upside. And if you look at that stuff from a very short term point of view, maybe over the course of a few days and a few weeks continuously have the formation of bullish patterns that, you know, have their targets hit, right? That that helps the, the indicators stay on the right side of the trend, where typically if you're in the trending market, 
there was only one side working, bullish or bearish. And needless to say, a very small amount of bearish patterns working on the way up. So as we got to the end of 2021, it started to get a lot of signals that both were firing. Had some failed breakdowns, but also some failed breakouts. And of course, all of that flipped as the, the middle of January started. And so right now, it, it's clearly tough to find that, right? That I've identified, say, three or four intraday you know, bullish patterns along the way that maybe took us up to a potential cup of handle pattern in the middle of that January um, rally failed and everything else doing the same thing. And so right now, you know, I look at some of these, you know, um, depressed indicators and wanting to turn bullish, but really the way I look at my work won't even get me to that point unless you have a rally, unless that rally produces a higher low. You know, the higher low then produces a cup and handle inverse hand and shoulders pattern. It then has a target hit. I mean, you have to get a long way to go before that actually changes. And so I'm okay being patient with that. But, you know, the, I guess the problem with being patient is that you, you will miss some of these big percentage moves. And so I try to overlay that work with looking at historical studies along the way. And, you know, there's been so many of those popping up over the last few weeks where because you have huge moves in both directions. And needless to say, if you run those numbers back, say, 10, 20 years, you don't get too many instances. But one thing that keeps popping up, as I'm sure everyone has seen, is that things get so bad that you can point to instances in the past where they look like major you know, turning points. The difference, though, I found is that that is true when those have happened in uptrending markets, right? When, when, the, when the really bad statistics happen in a market that's already stressed, if this leads to more of the bad. Just give you just a very quick example. Um, there's one from last week where the S&P 500 was down 2% in the week, right? No big deal. But that was the 30th time it's happened since 2018. Not even going that far back. But 21 of the, uh, the last 29 times, it was up the following week. So it's about 70% um, success rate. And three times only, did you see a 2% decline on a weekly basis two weeks in a row? And so the question is, when did those occur? Well, they occur in the first two, in the in February 2018. We know what that was about, the volume explosion. It occurred also in March 2020, huge days, and then also in September 2020. So it just tells you that if we were still, you know, in the middle of this uptrend and something like this happened, it would be a screaming buying opportunity. Right now, it's interesting to point out, which I did, you know, today, but still not too confident in it because we know everything has failed. So what I want to see is, again, bullish patterns start to work. Uh, at the very least, see that downtrend line from you know, the beginning of 2022 broken, which continues to fail as well. Other than that, I think we just have to treat these as mean reverting moves, you know, trust trust the uptrends that are out there. Of course, energy, anything uh, inflation related, buy those dips. Continue to sell the rallies again until something changes um, from a bullish pattern perspective. That's great. That's great, Frank. That's awesome. Um, hey, uh, Frank, thank you yes. so much. And I, I'll say likewise. I um, always read your notes, and I'm so grateful. Um, Frank does uh, unbelievable notes. He's at Instanet, and you can find him on Bloomberg. Or actually, well, he's Instanet. So uh, maybe you're, are you? You're on Bloomberg, right? I, I am. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You can find Frank and his work and um, he caters to uh, the institutional uh, crew. And so, yes, Frank, thank you so much. And I learned a lot from you and um, it's always good to, for all of us to 
look yeah. at as much um, type of research um, in the same same realm. I mean, technical analysis, um, a lot of ways to interpret it. And there's a lot of ways and times when you want to weigh things a little bit heavier. So thank you, Frank. That's, That's very nice. That's great. So Thanks, Frank, man. so Frank, if you wouldn't mind hanging out on stage and Tommy, if you can hang out as well, because sure. I'm sure we have a lot of questions. Okay. We're going to go to uh, my good friend, Michael Guyad, and then we're going to do uh, Marcellus and then three aces. Three aces. I would have had you before, but you kept dropping in and out. I don't know what's going on. Uh, so, I'm in my car. Kept kept going. Uh, in all right. Sorry. All right. All right. Well, well, you lost your line. You lost your line in the bakery. Marcellus jumped in front of you. So we're going to do Guyad, Marcellus, and then three aces. Mister Guyad, how are you, my friend? You know, I'm like everybody else, just waiting for the lights to change. Like, uh, like three aces there with, with this environment. All right, so I'll riff on a couple of things. You know, I came in, George, just when you were saying markets crashed from oversold levels. I've made that point quite a bit too and i heard a bit of what tommy was saying guy 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 just remember the part i said all i do is repeat stuff from other people and sometimes i forget to give, give the attribution so i salute you I, it's one of the many things i've learned for you michael go ahead no please come on uh, don't don't, <laughs> don't do that don't make me blush on twitter it doesn't look good on my twitter face all right so 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 i'll, I'll try and do a little fair and balanced kind of approach for, for the bulls and the bears and then you'll probably know exactly where i stand at the end of this but this is a very complicated environment. Number one, as we know, risk off is not behaving like risk off, right? Treasuries and stocks are one for one collapsing. 60-40 is fucked beyond belief the way this is playing out. And the, the complication here is that if you're going to be overly bearish, there is one of these face ripper rallies coming. You've been in a bear market for a year. You've had complete devastation in a lot of stocks outside of the mega cap indices. And even from 2000, 2003, as John Roke correctly has noted on, on my own space as well, you have these big rallies in bear markets before ultimately lower lows. So it's a question of sequence of returns, the path with which markets behave. I always make that point that path matters more than prediction. You're at very oversold levels. And as much as everybody correctly says, don't try to catch a falling knife. The reality is, from a compounding perspective, it's by catching a falling knife that you get the biggest returns. The biggest money is never made in the middle of a trend. It's always made at the start of one. People often forget that, I think, when they think about investing, which means that every single trade, to some extent, that's contrarian is a leap of faith. And yes, there is a real contrarian setup here where, given how dark sentiment is, given how oversold everything is, very possible you could see a rip rally in everything. Now, with having said that, I can paint a very, very dark, ugly scenario here, Okay, which is to say that only now are you going to start to see prices really follow through to goods and services. I just saw some news headline, Uber is putting some kind of fuel surcharge. Okay, you're going to start seeing these things come up. You're going to see prices really start to skyrocket, I think, in the coming weeks. And I think that's going to be a big shock to the American public, right? That's still coming. We see it in the financial markets. Most people are not seeing it just yet. But they will probably in a few weeks. The The... I'm known for having put out these five different research studies that won these different awards. All of the research studies go into my own funds. All the research studies basically document leading indicators to volatility. This has been one of the most frustrating periods in my career in that the leading indicators to volatility are only now starting to say volatility is going to pick up. Now, I know that sounds strange. Historically, when utilities outperform the stock market going back to the 1920s, that tends to precede major crashes, corrections, bear markets. That only started to pick up last week meaning utilities started really rocketing against equities just last week after already we've had a sizable drawdown since the start of the year. Uh, usually when lumber to gold is weak, 
also tends to precede major crashes, corrections, bear markets. Only now is lumber starting to break. Lumber was down heavy today. And I tweeted this out earlier, I'm sure, in the space. The next wave lower is probably going to come from housing as a deflationary force, just as everybody's still thinking about food prices. Okay, so you've got this kind of nasty scenario, I think, where conceivably there's another major pulse lower. And if you're really going to paint the real bearish negative uh, uh, environment here, I don't think this is any more about Russia-Ukraine, as far as markets go. I think this is about China. If you are not watching what's going on with China tech names, if you're not looking at what's going on with China overall, I have a spaces I'm doing talking explicitly about China with an expert talking about U.S.-China relations. If you are not noticing what's happening in China, you are you have your head in the sand. These stocks are behaving almost as if regulators are anticipating that they're going to go into Taiwan and they want to get ahead of it by trying to delist these areas. Something else is happening. I heard you, George, mention these kind of second order effects and second order thinking. I think actually this is the, where the real black swan could be coming in. It's no longer Russia, Ukraine for markets. I think it's China. So I'll stop there. See if uh, is there any reaction. Yeah. So so agree with most of what you said, Michael. Um, let me be careful what I say and how I say it. Someone who has been in this room and who is very well regarded by everybody. And people have back-channeled me and asked me, was it so-and-so or was it so-and-so? Someone who's very well regarded, uh, who I spoke to Friday and again today. Um, you're right, but you're half right. It's, it's Russia and China. Basically, the, the, well, first, let's really back up. Let's really back up. And, that, and let's go back to, and I know, Michael, um, you're a big fan of Michael Howell now. Um, and he's had the playbook. It's, it's, it's been about liquidity. It was about liquidity. Yep. It is about liquidity. It will always be about liquidity. Yep. You then layer on top of that this this disastrous, you know, and you know we're talking about money here, but what kind of human level? Just god awful. All right. But we're here trying to protect our net worth and figure out what to do. So we're talking about money. Um, this is we kind of interrupted our regularly scheduled programming of declining Marshallian decay and tightening liquidity for this um, intermission uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, situation. And that's distracted people's attention away from the main event. Um, I was informed by the aforementioned or former before alluded to individual that this things are going to get considerably worse before they get better in the Ukraine, that the next few weeks are going to be horrific. And we're not talking necessarily about, and I'm not talking about a nuclear weapon. It doesn't have to be that. In fact, it's not that. But if you accept the idea that it's going to get worse before it gets better, and now I'm going to bring your China into it, um, there. This is being done, of course, with the, the the theory is the backstopping of the Chinese. Nothing will give the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians all these guys an ability to redraw the global financial system. And if we were to lose control of the payments and the dollar hegemony would be a total disaster. And then layer on top of that China part of it, what you're talking about with the COVID, I mean, as they would say, we got a situation here. So I don't think you can reduce it to one thing. And Michael, I know you know this, we've talked about this a lot. What is true is the market has an inability to focus on more than one thing at a time. It's schizophrenic. That, that, that's my point. No, you're exactly right. And, and I'm glad you say that because... <laughs> it, it, it's always the thing you don't see coming, which yeah. is the thing you have to worry about the most. Exactly. And so, and so, and then I was in a room the other day with somebody and, um, I got I have to acknowledge him. Larry, um, 
Larry McDonald, Bear uh, uh, Traps report. Great guy. We'll get him in here one of these days. And I don't know, Michael, if you had him in your in your room. Yeah, he's been on my list. I've been trying to. You, you, you got to get him, okay? Um, and he had a great line. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up, but it was something like, and he was making the point about the bond market. And I I made this point about the bond market last week and the week before as well. Here it is. We're on the edge of potentially a nuclear cataclysm, right? And the end of civilization. And all we can do is 190 on the 10 year. I'm like, what? I mean, if the world was going to come to an end, he, he was, you know, the one year should be like, at, you know, the 10 year should be like at 1% or something crazy like that, right? But it's telling you the underlying condition, go back to the how thing about liquidity and inflation, all that stuff. That That is running in the background the whole time through. And people forget about that. In any event, the point he made was, that was a brilliant one. He said, you know, let's, we'll get through this. Hopefully we'll get through this, fingers crossed. We'll avert, you know, the modern day version Cuban Missile Crisis. We're worried about the end of civilization. Okay, so let's tell Gaiad what he wins. Good news. The world's not coming to an end. So what does Gaiad win? Come on down. We're going to give you a Jimmy Carter stagflation, slow growth environment. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, can we hold on? Hold on. Let's go. Let's go with that. Michael, 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 let's be careful. I'm not. I'm not saying to you personally your position. I'm just talking about. No, 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 no. I'm just talking about what the world looks like. So then we go back. We go back to Michael Howell's regularly scheduled program. So, so let me let me just stop on this rant, okay? Whether that's true or not, who knows? But here's what I here's what I do believe, okay? If door number one is the end of the world, door number two is we go back to we go back to the world of Jimmy Carter. I tell you, so you want to find. A man for all seasons, or in this case, a woman for all seasons. Which risk asset gets, I shouldn't say screwed, because then someone's going to say I'm misogynist, okay? Which risk asset does incredibly poorly in either scenario? Ta-da! Ark. And and, and all the long long duration garbage. So that's where I go with that. The floor is yours, Mike, Mr. Guy. I love LA George. You always make it a point somehow, somehow to go back to Kathy Wood. Yeah, somehow, like I'm, I'm waiting for where it's going, and somehow it ends up going back to Kathy Wood. Okay, hold but, on. But Michael, 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 Okay, so hold on, hold on. So, so let, can, can, let, let, let me handle the stagflation thing for a second because I, I keep thinking about this. It's like I know everyone's using this this argument that stagflation. It's like the seventies. The system does not fucking work under stagflation when debt to GDP is as high as it is. End of story. Let, let me make that very clear. The system cannot function if you have an environment where interest rates on the long end keep on rising. When you have thirty trillion of debt, never mind never mind the unfunded liabilities. When you get demographics as bad as you are talking about something which the world has never seen before. Okay, the system cannot function under a stagflation environment with our attention Kmart shoppers. Yeah. Attention Kmart shoppers. Will Luke Roman please report to the customer right. service desk? Luke Roman, please report to the customer service desk. Yes, I'm a big I'm a big something. fan of the way Luke Luke frames this, but, but I just I just don't see how that that's possible. Again, I could be totally wrong. Okay, but 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 hold on. <laughs> I, I keep going back to. And I used this line before, right? Opportunity always exists when the crowd thinks it knows an unknowable future. Okay, because contrarianism is not about betting against the crowd; it's about betting on where the pot, the expected value, is highest, right? Because fewer other players are betting on that pot. So, if you and only a few other people are betting on that pot, you're going to get a bigger payout, you know, just on a probability adjusted basis. Okay, so so what works if the quote unquote world does not end? It's going to be treasuries. It's not going to be equities 
it's going to be the return of risk-off behavior, where long-duration yields fall again, which means you don't you reverse this inflationary trend, you counter the stagflation narrative, and you hit a deflation pulse. And I keep going back to this point that I think what's missed by a lot of people when they think about inflationary shocks is that inflationary shocks are deflationary because of the speed with which commodity prices move. It creates demand destruction. It becomes a question of, do you want to buy a Peloton or do you want to actually buy a bike because you'll save more money on gas than actually driving to work? There ends up being real demand destruction when you cannot react fast enough to the price of gas, the price of wheat, the price of corn, or everything that we're seeing as far as stuff that we need. So at the, when the market realizes that, the real play, and no, nobody wants to think like this, the real play is going to be treasuries rallying, stocks going down, and I think that's where your big flush comes from. It's the return of deflation fears, not inflation fears. I just want to know that my arc bet still works. That's all I want to know. I don't really care. I, 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 you know what, man? I, 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 one day, one day I'm going to host a space with you and Kathy Wood. One day. M- Michael, Michael, Michael. All pro- you need to charge for that space, and all proceeds go to charity. Uh, 100%. I would absolutely do that. All right. All right. Okay. We could probably raise some serious coin for that. And you know what? I promise I'll be nice. I can be nice. I, I, I have my doubts, but uh, I'm, I'm open. <laughs> I'm open to, you know, seeing. You know? All right. All right. So, Michael, stay there for a second. All right. Let's keep going here. So we got hey, George. Hey, George. Just one yeah. sec. Yeah. Go, go for it. I'm with, I'm with what Michael is saying. Um, and my view is, like, I, I just rent this little bullish costume. Um, and I think we're just going to bounce. Uh, again, lower high bounce. And then that's wave four. So it's a corrective bounce the next wave down is going to be wave five wave five is the final wave down and that's when i think all the stuff that everybody's talking about will you know it'll be absolutely brutal and that's when everything gives up and the other thing and i'll leave you because i've got to run into a dinner is all the amount of inflows that came in last year a trillion into the markets i don't think we've seen the the outflows yet and that's that's telling me that we still haven't seen a capitulation and 100%, that, might be, 100%. that might be in wave five and there's 100%. still people that are and, there's and, still and, people and, wanting and, to buy and tommy you know and, what i hope for you, you know what i hope for you tommy i hope the market bounces you make your money and then the landslide comes because like let me put all right let me put the question differently let me put the question differently what do you have greater conviction thomas the market's going to bounce here and we're going to make, you know, 5%, 10%, whatever number you want to put on it. Or or that, you know, it's going to be 20% lower six months from now. Which is – so, so are you, you, want to, you want to – I'm teasing you as a friend. Yeah, no. You, I, you, no you, you, it you, is you, being you, recorded, good. Tommy. Just remember, it's being recorded. I know. Recorded. It's okay. okay. I look. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> so, Tommy. So, Tommy. Tommy, Tommy. You want to continue, as is your want, to pick up nickels in front of steamrollers? Or do you want to get with the trend and be, and, and be with the forces of darkness and good? Like, what, well, what, just, what, what say you? Just remember, I've been with the trend. I've been like as bearish as it gets. I, you know, I just made a ton on so many shorts and put spreads, and now all my indicators are getting lined up. They're not there yet for everything. Got it. But yeah, That's I just fair. want you know, if the market bounces seven percent, there's PayPal that will bounce ten percent. Totally, and and, and I own it here. here. So, no, no, you're totally right. We saw that they you pointed it out. The German market. I've been through a few of these these little, you know, fun periods to know that you've got to find the opportunities on the long side, even if you're the most bearish, because 
it's terrifying. And I'll say this, it was terrifying for our fund when we were in, you know, 2008, well, 2007, it started through eight and then through nine where we were short and we were terrified being absolutely mega short financials thinking we're going to get run over with the squeeze at any time. So I, I'm look, I, I could be wrong. hundred percent, Tommy. 100%. And if I'm wrong, you'll hear it here first. All right. hundred percent. Good night. All right. Have a good day. And Have we'll a see good you back tomorrow. Thanks All right. guys. Take care. No, no worries. Okay. Marcellus three aces and then uh, oil God Marcellus. What's up? Hey, George. Uh, thanks for having the space today. And of course, you know, the, the great people that come up like Michael and, uh, and Frank. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, Marcellus, you're cutting out a bit. Can you hear me all right or now? Yeah. Just, yeah so you're, still, you're still kind of choppy. Like, keep talking. If it's bad, we maybe you should get out and come back here. Keep talking. All right. Um, I, you know, I just wanted to come to the defense a little bit of the mafia. Um, there are some of us. A few of us that have been a little bit of party poopers the last couple of weeks and a little yeah. yeah I mean, hold, on, chat. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna call you out for having made that call correctly. Your brethren, not so much. <laughs> okay, okay. So you need to be called out for 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 actually. I think three aces got to you. Three aces had it nailed. Three aces and Tommy Thornton had it completely nailed. And I don't know if I should credit you for independent thought or, was, or three aces got to you and worked on you, okay? But I'm going to give you credit for having called it out. But honestly, the rest of the mafia, mm, 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 mm. no PhD in revisionist history for you, Sohaib. All right, so Marcellus, what were you going to say? I, I did start selling some. What, what, what history? <laughs> There's no history phrase. here. No, 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 Sohaib, 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 Sohaib. <laughs> I mean, we have forgotten we're above 100. I mean, people people so think we're at 60. So, hey, so, hey, so, hey, you're like the Bitcoin guys. Number go up. Okay, no. It was, the point made was, to be clear, no one can you get the note is bad. It's all on Smith. It's all good, all right? Marcellus, like Tommy Thornton said, not here, not now. Three Aces is bullish energy, but not here, not now, as was Marcellus, okay? The rest of the mafia was kind of like, you know what? Don't bother us with this short-term stuff. We're going to be a lot higher, you know, on anything but a short-term view. I agree with that, all right? But, you know, let's be clear. I mean, I mean, so, hey, so you know what you need to do? You, okay, it's part of your, you know what? You haven't been carrying your weight, so, hey, so we got to give you some work to do. You need to somehow come up with a system, and Oil Guy can help you with this, I'm sure, to monitor sentiment um, in the Canadian oil mafia. Maybe when you guys do your rooms, like, if you're starting to get, you know, normally if it's like 300 people, now you're getting like 1,000 people, you need to come up with some sort of contrary sentiment indicator. I mean, like, how is, I mean, Three Aces called the top. He was like, call me what he goes, my God, it's like, <laughs> I'll let Three Aces say it. But, I mean, you got, I, I love you guys. I love the enthusiasm. You know, my heart of hearts, where it's all going to end in the same place, rooting for the same thing. But it's just a tactical thing. That's all we're really talking about. So, Marcellus, as usual, I'm talking too much. Can you please start talking again? Yeah. So, I mean, back on Friday the 4th, that was kind of like where I'm like, all right, th things things are getting dangerous. Um, you know, I, I trimmed – I sold my CVE commons on that day, and last week I trimmed some some long-dated calls. But I, for me, that I, I, I see this what – what's happening this week. I thought this week was going to be a bloodbath across the board to be honest with you um just with you know quad witching and, and fmoc and cpi and ppi prints i mean it's just there's nothing good for the market to look at this week in my mind um 
but it, I think this is healthy uh, for the longer term. If, if we can get a little pullback here, um, you know, if you look at actual valuations and, and uh, multiples right now, some of these names, some of them are actually getting back to where they were when uh, oil was at like eighty five, eighty six dollars. So, um, you know, over the next week or two, you could see some opportunities depending on, on what the action looks like. That's just kind of what I'm looking at. But, yeah, I was have your cash and, and I've been the uh, the calm party pooper in our little uh, group chat recently. So, okay. so yeah, yeah. So, so I want to know, Marcellus, like, you know, it's, it's horrible about cancel cancel culture. People get defriend, unfriend and all this kind of stuff like. Have you been? I'm gonna push all God's buttons, but like, like, have you had situations now where <clears throat> people who you thought were your friends, like, all of a sudden, don't like you because you're not like mounting the party line every day, every week? It's sort of <laughs> <laughs> no. Everybody's been good about it, I think. You know, and and there's some listen. There's some really, really smart people in there. William Lacey, he's listening here. Uh, he's a guy everybody should be following if they're not. Um, but there, there's some excellent, excellent. Uh, expertise in in the space and everybody kind of you know everybody has their their little thing that they contribute and it's it's a real good group 100 so marshall so let me just ask something so given that you've, you've been in gear on this correction and you may say it depends on is is guide would say sequencing see how the cards you know how they how they're played but in your head as you're sitting here right now right here right today like what are you thinking are you looking for more of a correction in time as opposed to price do you think we could really you know some some Kramer types who came in at the last minute might puke, so it could go down more than is justified. Like, how are you thinking about, or it may, it may be on a case-by-case basis, but what's your thought process given that it's playing out the way you're anticipated? So the, the biggest overhangs, once we get past this week, okay, this week is its own its own issue with, like I said, with with Powell and, and Quad Witch and, and the, the, the CPI and PPI prints. So those, are, those are negative catalysts coming into it. Um, past this week you know it's going to be where does this um you know where does this chinese lockdown go moving forward shenzhen being shut down it's the fifth largest port in the world um anybody who thinks the supply chains are going to get fixed well guess what uh that's certainly not going to help matters um you know there there are a lot of parts and pieces and things they don't really think about that are manufactured in china that are used in the oil industry and in production and drilling. So uh, those things are not going to improve with stuff like that still going on in China. Um, and obviously the Russia Ukraine issue, um, you know, to me, Iran and Venezuela is almost an afterthought. It's really those two issues. It's, it's China lockdown and uh, Russia Ukraine that are the, the overhangs right now. And, you know, obviously any kind of peace, a uh, real peace deal that, that could come about, um, or, or any kind of reopening again of China would be, uh, well, the reopening would be bullish. The peace deal would be bearish. So the thing is the supply and demand uh, thesis has not changed, right? That That's still there. It's still prevalent. Um, so my long term is still the same. But, of course, this, uh, you know, three aces will talk to this, I'm sure. This this double, yeah, yeah, double yeah, yeah, exactly. dollar, the strong dollar and high oil together sure. is, is really right. All right. Okay. So, yeah, yeah Marcellus, you're breaking up. All right. So this now tees it up beautifully. Drumroll, please. Wait for it, Mister Three Aces, who deserves a big round of applause for having nailed this energy correction. Um, he speaks from, like myself, having made decades of mistakes and haven't seen the movie before. 
pattern recognition, muscle memory. So three aces, first speak to where you think we are in this energy correction, how long it might go either in terms of price or time, and then just more generally, what do you think? Good to see you, my friend. What's up? Hey, my friend. Great picture from the basketball game last night. You and your uh, spouse there look very happy and wonderfully uh, look like you had a good time. Um, so, you know, you know, George, we've been doing this stuff for decades. Um, you know, what gets me into trades is fundamental analysis. What gets me out of trades is financial market analysis. So anytime, you know, we get into a fundamental only discussion without any consideration whatsoever for anything else is generally speaking where, you know, opinions tend to differ. <clears throat> In the case here of oil and all commodities, uh, you know, with the exception of uh, the only two real store of values in the world today, given the geopolitical thing, which is gold and silver, um, you know, the, w w you know, we used to talk about the broken policy trade, <clears throat> ESG, oil and gas, immigration, foreign policy, all of that stuff. Today, what we have is what I call the forces of mother nature trade. Okay. And, and basically the, the business cycle, as it's been set forth by Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs, Martin Pring invented the, the, the technical work on that. <clears throat> I'll say the same thing. There's six stages to the business cycle. Okay. At the very last stage of the business cycle is where the commodities have a blow off top and they roll over and they follow bond and stock prices. So when the commodities were, were the last bubble to blow in the zero interest rate policy, everything bubble, and nothing else was confirming it, the stocks weren't confirming it, the metals producers weren't confirming it, it was just commodity price. That was enough for me to say the party's over. And then, and then coupled with, for the first time in my lifetime, and you know I'm in the metals, mining, and currency business, that's what I do. I manufacture those metals and I trade them in all different kinds of currencies in different emerging markets in the world. Um, you know, so, so, you know, coupled by the first time in my lifetime, I've seen the dollar go from 90 to 100 and oil and other commodities go from 60 to 130. The, the, the issue with that is, is that the demand destruction wrecking ball that that combination, which nobody has ever seen before, takes to the emerging markets and, and the non-sort of G-set countries is just catastrophic in nature. A gasoline in New Zealand today is $8.07 a U.S. dollar per gallon. Okay? All right. If, if, if we think that, you know, EIAI and this and that and all the rest of this stuff, that's cute, okay? But the reality of it is, is the Ubers and the little guys out there and all these places, they're just getting wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, and then, you know, you got the fertilizer there. So, so, so it's very, it, you know, it, what we have right now is we have the forces of Mother Nature, right? The new business cycle will not start until we see interest rates starting to go down. Interest rates were up today. Again, they're, they're, they're raising interest rates. We're going into an interest rate cycle, okay? Right? First interest rates, just like Michael said, are the first things to show that we're starting a new business cycle. We're nowhere even near that. The second force for Mother Nature is valuation, 
I think whether we look at Huffman or Michael's work or any of the other, you know, highly intelligent people out there, Mike Green, yourself, George, um, this market here, if it's on a relative basis to historical means, um, we could see another 40, 50 percent down from here. OK, right. So so we don't have one single mother nature force of mother nature saying to buy anything here except gold and silver, right, which are the only real stores of value historically over time that have never changed from day one. All this other stuff comes and goes, including currencies and the rest of it. So, you know, when I sit and I listen to some of the guys who I actually admire and respect and have a tremendous amount of, you know, uh, respect for not getting in any names, it almost seems like there's a piece of the human psychology that is still in this sort of Dr. Frankenstein, everything goes up, liquidity, momentum, bubble type approach to buying dips and stuff like that. Um, and, and to hear some folks say that here on the call is actually kind of surprising, you know, because, because there's not one single reason to buy equities here, particularly anything cyclical, right, which includes oil and the rest of that stuff. So until we start to see, forget Russia, Russia is nothing. We've been saying Russia is nothing for the markets for a long time, okay? And Michael's got it right. Russia is the prelude for China, okay? And the reason why is because you've got the fraud, Larry Fink at BlackRock, pushing ESG. Why? Because China doesn't have hydrocarbons. So they're trying to take the, the economic and financial power, right, that China does not have because they're, they're, they don't have hydrocarbons and they're trying to give it to them through, through these electric batteries. China owns 100% of the natural resource supply chain for electric batteries, right? So let's put a bullet in hydrocarbons, right? Which is working out nicely, obviously. Look at the price of fertilizer of 300%, right? By putting a bullet in the hydrocarbons and shifting the focus to the electric vehicle batteries, we essentially give China 100% of the financial and economic power in the world for the energy markets. That's what is scaring the daylights out of me because China wants to wipe the United States off the face of the earth. So just in a nutshell, you know, if we look at the business cycle, we look at commodities are always the last to fall, which is what's happening now. We look at interest rates are going up, we look at valuation, notwithstanding geopolitical stuff, there's not a single reason in the world to buy anything here besides gold and silver. And it may stay like this for two, three, four, five years. And George, you and I and Michael and some of the guys that have been around for years, we know these periods of time, three, they could yeah. go free, yeah, they could be extended. Real quick, real quick. Michael Guy, you go ahead. Real quick, real quick. Okay, so, so, so first of all, I just want to say publicly for the record, I fucking hate Mother Nature. So <laughs> that old rant about Mother Nature. And I agree with you, by the way. Okay, and, and, and I'll tell you something. You know, I've been saying this to, to advisors I talked to. And I'm on, on the phone all day long and talking about my funds and talking about markets and talking about all these different things I do as far as the ETF think tank. But what, what I've been – and I'm sincere when I say this. I tend to be a little bit paranoid. Like I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that's like only the paranoid survive, right, using the old Intel CEO slogan. And in January of 2020, a lot of people thought I was crazy in the first week of January buying a shit ton of N95s because I was seeing some of the stuff on Twitter, these videos of people 
in China just collapsing out of nowhere. This talk about some kind of flu, right? And I was like, all right, let me, just in case, just in case, let me get a whole bunch of N95s, right? Okay. I, and I was very disturbed up until, obviously, things started really revealing themselves with COVID. My mutual fund was risk off in treasuries in advance. Okay. That same feeling I had back then in January, I have the same feeling now. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. And that's to your point that there is a really dark scenario here. I go back to the leading indicators are only now starting to say conditions favor the accident. I've been tweeting for several weeks here that this is not risk off. Real risk off is still coming. Okay. So it is very possible. Mike, I'll just say to you, you know, you're like Soros. It's when his back really bothers him. You're saying the same thing as as, as Aces, and and I feel the same as you. We're all saying the same thing. We're all feeling the same thing. Right. And, and, And so... Anyone who's been around this game for a while, again, it's it's sort of like you know in sports, you've seen the play before. You don't have to have a diagram. You know, it's pattern recognition, it's muscle memory, brother, hundred percent, hundred percent. So and, and so what? So what I what I what I pause and look. This is a very humbling business. We know that we we were still learning, but I just look at the people I respect, the veterans in the room, and the many that are not here. I mean, Roki, where the hell did he go? I think he left. But, you know, you get Roken here and some of these other guys we've been talking about, and it's like, you know, if we're playing pickup ball in the, in, in the schoolyard, you know, I can go, I got three aces, you know, John Hussman, Michael Guyad, you know, in one team. And then I got some 24-year-old dude who's trading weekly options and setups on the other. And I have a clueless central banker, Jerome Powell, saying inflation's transitory. Like, whose side are you on? It's like not even a question. And the thing is that what's hard is, and Michael, you're great on psychology, it speaks to cognitive dissonance. It's like, no, this can't be happening. But no, it is happening. And, and so what will happen is, and Michael, you, you, you speak far more eloquently than any of us do to this point. It's sort of like you can walk someone down, okay, this assumption, this assumption, this assumption, this assumption. And, you know, if A, then B, then C, then D. Right. It must be E. And they say, no, no, it can't be, can't be, can't be. So they agree with the logic, but they, but they, they will not accept the conclusion. So you know what I'm talking about? Like, like how do you respond? Yeah, to that? yeah, yeah. No, no, of course. And, 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 and right. <laughs> it goes back to it's always a thing you don't notice as a thing to worry about. I, I, I keep I keep throwing this out there that, uh, you know, we had pestilence with COVID. We have war. Russia, Ukraine. Who knows about China, Taiwan. Famine is next, folks. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but it's like it's actually very disturbing if you play it out because I don't think people realize how bad this can get. Now, having said that, real quick on the three aces uh, point about this. Uh, there's no reason to buy anything. The fact that there's no reason to buy anything isn't is inherently a reason to buy something, right? It goes back to the contrarianism argument because nobody can predict the future and the sequence of returns matters more than the actual end point, right? The, the path with which you get there. So I, I always you know, try to preface it by saying, be very careful about being overly bearish because you could be right, but you may be right a year from now, whereas between now and then, you could have a rip rally seemingly out of nowhere for any number of reasons. It's not my base case. I think the, right. the real move yeah, is coming. But Michael, in the context, I think there's a variant context here, which I think is important. As a professional money manager, you're right. You got to be invested. I'm not. I'm just a schlump who, who no, no, that's my fair. Own no, 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 for sure. For so sure. in my in sure. my world, I don't have to do anything. And sure. when I see this forces a mother nature trade setup, guess what? I'm more interested in how I sleep at night. And the return on my investment than the sure. return, on, you know, the return of my investment 
than the return on my investment. So but hold, just, in fairness, in fairness, I'm, right? I'm not giving anybody advice here. I'm no, 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 for sure, for, for myself, sure. That's for sure. It. And, yeah. and the only thing I'm saying to say about that, just just keep in mind also for everybody that's here listening on the space. So the natural inclination is to do what? To go to cash, wait it out. You're going to lose money with cash too, <laughs> okay? And people, right? Because inflation's high. So and, and and people forget when they talk about cash as an alternative, right? Every every decision to go into cash is a dual decision. It's when to time going into cash, and then when to time no longer being in cash. Well, right? it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's my point is it's complicated. That's my point. Well, well, no, but hang on for a second, Michael. And again, it, it sounded like it was my time to finish making my point. Um, and I know George, and I and I respect uh, you know his his uh, leadership here. But sure. but I'm long gold and silver physicals. And the only real hedge to be long physical gold and silver is cash. So in the context sure. of, I, and I think I did say that the only real thing to own here is gold and silver. And I don't see buying any, any stocks, any of them at this point, including the commodities, um, right? Which, which, which presumes there's a large cash position, right? But in the gold and silver world, in the physical metal world, which is the business I'm in, okay, sure. making that stuff, right? The only real hedge against the dollar rolling over or, or, or going against you is cash. So just to be clear, but thank you. And you know how much I respect you. And I appreciate yeah, no, no, these, these, varying, say, these varying contexts here. Thank you. I, say, it, one last thing, one last thing. I'm going to hop, George. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny timing to say this because, you know, you're right. Like, I'm running funds. I've got rules-based approaches. I've got to follow my mandates. Uh, I don't choose the cards I'm dealt. I just choose to play the game. I'm glad that you have three aces. So with that said, so with that said, thank everybody. God bless. All right, right, guys, uh, you're leaving, man. All right, cool. All right, so let's move on here. Um, All right, so I want to do this in order. They've been raised to have their hand up. So we're doing Oil God, Energy Burrito. Oil God, my friend, how are you? Oh, hell, nice to see you, George. Nice to see everybody. So listen, I appreciate there's going to be opportunities to cut me off here. So give me a chance to speak on the mic, and then you can go ahead and rebut. I appreciate you going back on mute. So first of all, appreciate the spaces. Lots of respect to everybody who's spoken. Deep, uh, full credit. He has been talking about this. Uh, There's no revelation. Three aces, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for everybody who's made money. Uh, But really, you have to separate the fact there's a few things that we need to make sure we get off the table. Number one, we're all not in the same trade for the same reason, right? So I'm going to give you a rendition of what I think is going to happen. And then I'm going to tell you as to why, you know, the Canadian oil mafia, even on days like today, you know, we don't love seeing red on our screen, but we're certainly not all of a sudden changing our thesis and flipping papers up in the air and wondering what's going on. This world is fucked. Okay. And, and, and largely when you're talking about famine, you're talking about scarcity of assets. And those assets are, are, are a lot less scarce in a certain part of North America. And that actually happens to be in Canada. And if you look at Canada relative to Bitcoin or relative to any other asset class you could have owned in the last year and a half, Canadian energy, which is actually the beginning about 66% of the name of the Canadian oil mafia, was the number one performing asset you could have owned in North America. Okay, so I just want to get that off the table. The second thing I'm going to say is, here's what's happening. You have an administration that's getting completely misled, and that's the United States. They think they could go to places like Venezuela and OPEC and just say, listen, we've been, you know, we've been you know, waving our sword at you for all these years. 
uh, it's time for you to raise production or work with us. This is the time we're coming, you know, you, you need to come to our rescue, if you will, politically. Well, what we're all learning now is that's absolute bullshit. They're more, more likely that OPEC is going to be working with China than anything else. And what Three Aces did call, and Three Aces, you know, there's nothing but love and respect, is he called the Chinese owning all the commodities. And when you own all the commodities, it doesn't really matter if you think we should live in a hydrocarbon world or a hydrocarbon free world. The Chinese are going to control the entire fucking thing. Okay. And when the Chinese control the entire fucking thing, you then have to control their government. Good luck. And this is exactly why we should stay exactly where we are with an energy security conversation. This is a completely different space. We'll get to that next. Anytime you see hashtag COM, this is what we're discussing in the thesis when it comes to energy security. Because when you when you don't have energy security, to George's point, three aces point, and all the points that were made earlier, you're going to have things like famine. And that is not something the Canadian oil mafia supports at all. And so what I think is going to happen with the overall market is they're going a lot lower. Okay. Inflation is coming. The Fed the Fed is going to raise rates. George, I see you just chomping at the bit with the mute. So here, here, here's, here, here's what I'm going to say, George. You did. Absolutely, you did. A, absolutely not. Go for it, man. Thank you, my friend. So inflation is coming. Kathy Wood is going to be on the back of a milk carton. Okay. And I'm telling you, eight beers in, I would actually take her home with me. But anything under eight beers. Wait, 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 wait. Just when I thought I'd seen or heard everything. Well, God, have you been you've been hanging out with your sort of marijuana? Like, dude, you want to do Kathy Wood? Like, no, come on. Seriously. Like, no. Okay, George. Okay, George. I'm lying. George, I'm lying. Ten beers. Okay, ten beers. I apologize. Okay, eight beers. No disrespect to the. I'm going to get. But I just want to, for the record, for the record, I don't want to get these oil god with the misogyny, cries of misogyny come from the woke left. I just want everyone to know oil god lives in Vancouver. I had nothing to do with this. Okay, just come and get me. I will be with my <laughs> brethren in the clouds. You can come and find us. We'd be more than happy to educate you while you're here. So let me continue. The inflation is coming. Okay, we don't. When we look at the data, okay, all that matters. And again. Um, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to give you one other fact too, because I mean, three Ace did a fantastic job when oil was at 126 to 128 and he was speaking to a space and I was listening and he advised all of the people that were speculative traders in the commodity of oil to get out of oil. Right. And so when you look at what's happening from 128 to call it 100, let's use simple math. Somebody may have told me that's around 30% correction. I may be wrong. Okay. The Canadian oil stocks have not corrected 30% in that time. They're baking a base, okay? And it's largely because if you're in speculative oil, I do agree that the price will continue to remain volatile and we cannot control lockdowns and you cannot control this, you cannot control these, what you call headlines. But what you do see is exactly what, what is being produced and where the draws are actually coming. And the largest consumer on the planet Earth happens to be, George, in your own backyard, driving, driving from NBA basketball games to NCAA basketball games with beautiful women, right, eating this and doing that and consuming. <laughs> and to do all of these things, my fine feathered friend, you need energy, right? And so when you look at your SPR, this is the biggest risk that I have here, okay? The biggest risk that the market faces is twofold. 
tech is going to continue to fall on its face with rising costs, everything that you said. If you stay cyclical, I mean, three aces, I do want to ask you a question. Don't do it now. But gold was down today. I would love to get your perspective on that. So the answer of gold and silver is one thing, but it is a if the sky completely falls apart. Whether the sky falls apart or not, you still need to consume things. So I personally think the safest asset you could own is actually oil. Now, what you want to do, stocks versus the commodity versus futures, and spec that's all speculation. I'm just looking for cheaper companies that are paying off debt and they're going to return that cash flow to me and I'm willing to wait. Okay, uh, George, the second biggest risk you're going to run is you have the United States that within three to six months will literally have, and I already think it's there, danger levels of the SPR, danger levels, okay? So when you're talking about Taiwan potentially becoming a Walmart for the Chinese mainland government and in you know just getting completely annihilated like Ukraine, that risk is actually coming every single day. And the reason is, is because the biggest army in the world may not actually have the energy supply to deal with a natural disaster that comes seemingly every summer now in the United States nor anything else to go and just stop fighting anybody in any extreme situation. That is a true risk that I believe. But the Chinese, if you look at them, folks, they play the long game. They don't need to hurt anybody because we consume all of their products, hydrocarbon or not. My rant is done. I thank you for giving me the opportunity. Always, oh God. Uh, it's not just the clarity we thought, but the method of your delivery. I really always like listening to you talk. I should have been should have gotten some wine after trade. By the way, I had a question for everybody up on the stage. Um, you know, we did the room time at five thirty instead of four. And there's always controversy when we should do this. I mean, if we do it too late as we're doing it today, European guys are asleep. If I do it too early, like eleven o'clock on a Saturday morning, three aces complains he's gotta get up at eight o'clock. Um so during the week, does anyone have any and I suppose it depends on your time zone, but whether we did it at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, or do it after dinner, I'm talking East Coast time. Anybody on stage have an opinion about that? Because, I mean, I know a lot. It Maybe it doesn't matter because what's really interesting about these rooms is they're – I've noticed this. Probably two-thirds of the people that listen listen to the replay. So it doesn't really matter, but if they want to participate, does anyone have any thoughts about it? If not, we'll just move on to the next speaker. So any, anyone have an opinion on what time we should do this room? All right. Uh, okay. You're cutting, Georgia. The the reception Sorry. isn't the best, but the general idea is like my, what I understood is when's usually the best time to do. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Exactly. When's the best time I, to do? I, I personally think that uh, on the weekends, like for for like the special spaces where you go yep. deep down, yep. where you have like uh, you speak at the special speakers, uh, 10, 10 a.m., eleven a.m. Mountain time is ideal, just yep. because it allows the Europeans to participate. Right, and then we yeah we get and, the and the Middle Easterns as well. Yeah, like, exactly. So. It's really, unless we're going to do it at noon, but then it's, you know, on a weekday and then it breaks into the workday for too many people. It's kind of hard to get the Europeans in or the, or the Saudis in on a weekday, but I don't know. I mean, so, so, hey, how about, throw, how about on a weekday? I mean. So the, the weekday, it's, uh, it's super challenging right now because, you know, it's, uh, what time is it? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to have to be late, late at night, but even then, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's, hard. it's really hard. Unless unless you do it at 10 a.m. during the day, 10 a.m., no, 11 a.m. No, you can't do that. You can't do it. All right. Th thanks Whatever for that. oil god can't do it. I can't stand his accent. <laughs> so, oil god, we have a question for you. 
do you really talk so so hey so all right has anybody on stage actually met oil god i think he's a fraud but I'm, I'm... Wanna, that's what we want to find out like does he really talk this way or is this oh, like Wee? um what's, what's with the I'm... energy I'm Canadian. I can tell you that's that's not a Canadian accent. Not yeah, Canadian. yeah. He's he's he's, he's got uh, you know we're a multi. Uh, what is that? Mostly, yeah. Oh, right? oh, 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 where, oh, where did you grow up? Where, where what's your dialect? Where, where, where did you grow up? What's that accent you got? I was born in Canada. Moved to the UK. I've moved back to Canada since working between Canada and the United States. Somebody with the first name Urine should not be talking shit to the oil guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Pee Wee, listen, I, I don't know you, but this is all in good faith. If you want to, like, be nah, humorous and take – yeah, I know. If you want to be funny, that's fine. But we – I – people know me. I have a short fuse. I don't suffer assholes gladly. So anyone runs their mouth in this room, they get thrown out right away. And this is – there's no due process. This is not a democracy, and that's why people like it because this room is moderated properly. All right. So – that. No worries. No worries. Okay, fine. So I think it's I think it's burrito and then Dylan if I'm not mistaken. Burrito, what's up, man? Good to see you. Hey, man, thanks for hosting. And uh, oil god, you're such a beauty. You stole pretty much all of my talking points. So, uh, but let me let me maybe get some common ground here, and uh, we can peel it back. I think that everyone on this space can agree that we have supply chain issues, right? You don't need a crystal ball. You don't have to, you know. Uh, polish it off and, and try to look deeply into it. It's just very apparent, you know, across the entire planet. And, and sort of two main points that I wanted to make was one, if we're going back to oil, which is kind of where I was going, and you can use the same thing for uranium, these, these industries are not immune from these supply chain issues. You can hear about, you know, these sort of bespoke items that are used for for drilling and for fracking and that kind of stuff that cannot be found, never mind human capital, which is very rare right now to find people to go out and do this stuff. So the belief that the world can just turn on a tap, uh, I think is false. So your narrative has to be purely demand driven. And sure, if we are in a horrific bear market, um, you know, I guess you could see, I don't know, 5 million barrels of demand come off or something like that, if it's anything near what COVID was, which was really not as much as people had thought about. But in any case, I'm with oil God. I believe that that oil um, is probably the best, one of the best hedges to be in right now. Uh, I'm long inflation. But I think that the the one thing, I think it was maybe Matt that was saying earlier, maybe it was Frank, I can't remember, was there's this whole argument between are we inflationary or disinflationary or what what environment are we in? I think the other thing that we can all agree that goes back to the the supply chain thing is I think the thing is different this time is it's not that you don't have enough money. It's that you just don't have access to the good or service. And so instead of it being you're priced out, it's like you just can't get a 9-11 right now. Like you got to wait two years. I'm not saying that that's everyone, but like I can't get a slide for my kids, you know, playhouse. I can't get a trampoline. You know, there's there are certain things that no matter how much capital you have, no matter how well your portfolio did, you're just not going to have access to it. So I think there's going to be this new sort of quote unquote inflationary uh, impact, which is just not being able to get the good or service. Yeah. So Bur Burrito, that's a brilliant point. If I could just weigh in on that. You're right, but I would add to that. Um, yes, we have a supply chain. We have a supply shock, yes, which is inflationary. But we also have had a reckless amount of money printing the last few years. 
And as Milton Freeman famously once said, inflation is, 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 is always everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. So it's both. And um, we have, you know, a recklessly stimulative monetary policy, even now, with rates being where they are and inflation, pick whatever number you want. And still, they're kind of retreating grudgingly, but, you know, this whole, they went from it's transitory to like, well, maybe it's not so transitory as we thought, but they don't have the moral courage to do the right thing and normalize the system. There's some people say, oh, you can't do that because there'll be all these you know, dust-ups and bombs will blow up and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I guess going back to the first part of what you said, though, the reason I'm so bearish on equities, I mean, who knows, going to recession, depression, nuclear war, whatever, okay? Goldilocks is dead. I repeat, Goldilocks is dead. We had, you know, this great disinflationary run for a long while. We know all the reasons, globalization, technology, and you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine, productivity. Hey, and- Georgia. The, Sorry. Just, uh, yeah, just a just a lot of static and breaking. All right, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just change something. Just I can put a bow. I can put a bow in my thought while you're fixing that. No, 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 no. It'll just take five seconds. Just yep. hold on, please. Hold on. Hey, Energy God, I have a a nine eleven Targa GTS, the first one made in the world. Twenty twenty two will be here in two weeks if you want it right. I had, <clears throat> i'm headed out of the country so i'm not going to need it right. DM so, me. So, sorry about that i had i had my beats on i that, that was the problem so um goldilocks is dead we had the best of all worlds we had um you know disinflation 40 years of falling interest rates uh, capital returns going from labor to capital increasing profit margins globalization um optimization of the economy financial optimization of the economy so capital structures are optimized prices got bid up etc 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 and now regardless of how this plays out you're seeing you're seeing you know more vol. you're going to see more volatility period than compared to what you saw before you're going to see less stimulus less money supply growth less marshallian k I believe less profit margins shift from capital to labor. So all things being equal, which they never are. If you just look at it through that framework, it's, it's negative for equities and people got spoiled by, you know, decades of the tide going in. Now the tide's going out. Now, how far it goes out, whether or not we're going to get a recession because commodity prices go up so much and that's going to kill discretionary uh, purchasing power and there's going to be a recession, and that's what the consumer stocks are already telling you. Okay, that's one possibility. Or somewhere along the way, the authorities, forget about what they're saying now, when they when you can see the whites of their eyes and they're worried about a recession, when it's coming soon to a theater near you, they say, you know what? We can't have that. And in the example I've used this for many times, it's like a, a car careening from one side of the road to another, going down an icy mountain road. They're about to hit one guardrail, which is inflation, you know, I'm driving the car, three aces in the passenger seat, and he's yelling, George, George, quick, turn the other way. It's too much inflation. So then I go flying back the other way to normalize things. And then it's like, George, watch out. You're going to hit that the other guardrail. Oh, well, that's known as, that, 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 that's known as too much. You know, we, go, we go from recession to one extreme to inflation to the other. As we've, as we've discussed many times in this room, there is no good outcome. There just is none. Period. Accept it. Deal with it. It's only the solution that's second best. And the problem is, 
This has taken decades, decades to come to this point. So the idea that they're going to raise rates a quarter of a percent or whatever, or 50 basis points, and somehow that's going to change the course of financial history. Like, Olga, you know, like I, I got to get some new more drugs from Olga. Like, there's just no fucking way. People just don't get it. You just don't I agree with you, George. You have these morons I, on CNBC and Jim Cramer and all these douchebag hedge fund managers. They know nothing. As Cramer would say, you know, when he's screaming, to, they know nothing. They know nothing. The Fed is fucked. We have dug our own grave. There is no good way out of this, period. And in an 18 times earnings, whatever the market multiple is, and I dare say multiples are going to go down and, 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 and probably earnings are going to go down. You know, whether the market's going to fall 10% from here or 50% from here, I don't know. But, like, from where I come from, you got to be out of your mind to own the average equity. Now, we have carve-outs for resources, energy, metals, gold. That, that's more a tackle question. There really is no disagreement. If you look at time frames, there's really no disagreement between three aces and oil god. It's one of time frames. And and so let's not let's not let let's not let's not let you know three aces, oh he's too smart. You know, he got the he got the profit taking call right, whatever. But the bigger picture, everyone's in agreement here on. So let's not go down that rabbit hole. All right. The bottom line is the fang stocks, the bullshit Kathy Wood stocks, all the gross dope shit. That's owned by the assholes at Tiger Global, D1, Co2, index funds, which are basically no more than giant mega cap margin uh, momentum strategies. It, they're completely screwed. Completely screwed. So, George, I just wanted to finish, like, put a bow on it and I'll go back to listen. It is basically, you know. When, when you're looking at a commodity trade, and of course, if there's a global sell-off, all bets are off, okay? But what, the way that I look at it is there's been absolutely no indication of slowing of demand, even at these insane gas prices. Like, you can look at Gas Buddy's data, uh, and, and week over week, and, and month over month, and year over year, um, the U.S. Can sit, continues to be an absolute glutton when it comes to, to gasoline demand. And so, you know, there's, there's just a litmus and the supply side, I don't think you have to really argue too deeply to understand that what's happening in, in Russia um, cannot be helping the supply side. And the sort of, um, you know, the non-CapEx environment that we're witnessing in North America uh, and, and return capital to, to shareholders is not helping the supply side narrative there either. So I guess where I land is I kind of have to take a step back and go, Jeez, if, if supply is not meeting demand and, and maybe perhaps to the tune of like three plus million barrels a day uh, minimum at this point, I think the trade's still on. And, and, you know, once that narrative goes away, then, yeah, I got to. Yeah. Gotta so, 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 Burrito, let me just say this. OK. There's really no disagreement in this room. But what I will say, and maybe it's participant bias. I mean, how should I put this? Everything you just said is true. There's been no, there's been no, there's been no decrease in demand despite the fact prices went down twenty percent. Okay, but what the Canadian oil mafia, and I say this in a good-natured way, what the Canadian oil mafia won't tell you is nothing really changed when it went up thirty percent in two weeks either. So it's kind of like you know Peter Lynch would always say, "There's a stock, and that's different from the company. It's two different things." 
And so price price is, you know, with respect to those morons and Nigerian brothers, price is not truth. So, you know, if we talk fundamentals, there's no disagreement in this room. But then, and I say this in a chiding kind of humorous way, and I think three aces would back me up on this. And, and I really hesitate to even say this. So I'm getting in trouble. I know it. I just know it. I can feel it. But I want you to see the humor or the logical fallacy in what my Canadian oil mafia friends are saying. It's sort of like, you know, whether oil's at 125 or 100 or 200, you could give the same, somebody could say the same thing, right? It's like the Bitcoin guys. It doesn't matter whether it's 11,000, 50,000, or 200,000, right? You know, in the case of Bitcoin, there's no argument about the fundamentals. It's a fucking zero. It's a pile of shit, okay? In the case of oil, in the case of oil, there's no argument. It's, it's, it's going to the moon. It's going fucking up. And you know what? If you're going to go on vacation for the rest of the year, and you're not going to look at the screen, and you don't have margin, and you're not on options, and you're like, you know what? Three aces, George, you guys think you're so fucking smart. You didn't even call the wiggles. You know, I tell you right now, put your money where your mouth is. This shit could be higher or lower than, than it is right now at the end of the year. It's going to be higher. So, so we're really making much ado about nothing. And I, I say this lovingly, Sohabe and Oil God and Marcellus and Energy Burrito. You guys come in a bunch. It's like, you know, I don't pay attention. I look up and all of a sudden I see I'm surrounded by Canadian oil mafia. Right. So I love you guys. You guys are right. We're just talking about time frames. That's all. And, and you know, you know, it's, here's the other thing, too. It's sort of like, I mean, go back on the tech run. OK, if one had been pressing enough, which I was not to have gotten the bull run, the fang stocks and the tech stocks correct for so many years, you would have said, you know what? Look at the charge, George, for five years. Like, there's a fool's errand trying to pick Wiggles. Like, what George, are you talking about? George, can I give you a plug for a quick second? Go and then it. I'm going to go back go. on mute, and I think go. you should get to Hashtag oil. Hashtag oil. If it's possible, if we could just jump over to Javier. He's a person who's more of a... No, no, no. So, hey, no, no. Oil guy wants to make a point, and then we'll go to Javier. Go ahead, yeah, my point. My point's very simple. You've nailed it. And, and to bridge the gap is exactly why you and Sohabe are very, very good hosts. I think the people on this call who give you shit, especially to three aces or to anybody who makes a call one week and to another, it's all unwanted. What takes professionalism is actually looking at it from the clouds where I smoke joints and looking down and actually seeing all the arguments. And the fact that you can piece it all together, I just want to applaud you. You've done a fantastic job. Uh, no, I, I appreciate that, old guy. Look, we, I get her wrong a lot. So, George, I No, hold no, Kumar. Kumar, you do not speak. If you open your mouth, you're getting thrown out. You'll speak when you're called upon. This is my fucking room. Um, all right. So, oh, God, thank you for that. You're too kind. We're just trying to get it right. It's all a bunch of ordinary guys just trying to figure it out. And we don't know. We all help each other. We're all, all better off for hearing different points of views. Okay. Now we're going to go to Javier, followed by Gnostic. Javier, what's up, man, my friend? Good what's up? What's what's up, brother? I'm not going to get in here and pound my uh, chest on oil. It gets pounded enough. And I'm, I've been doing yeah, it you, forever. You, you, you know what? You know what? You know what? And, and, and listen. I, I'm going to tease to my Canadian Mafia friends. I have rules, as you all know. We don't talk Bitcoin in these rooms, and we generally don't talk Tesla, okay? I think we need to have a quota on Canadian Mafia, okay? Because otherwise, what happens is, because look, it's our favorite subject. It's the only fucking long in the market. We know that, all right? But we're trying to be inclusive here. We need a diversity program, okay? We need to have other assets that we discuss. So, Javier, go ahead. Right, I'm not Canadian, um, but I, I do love those guys. It doesn't matter. It's energy generally. Okay, it's just, just I, I, I just want to point. I just want to point out a couple of things that have that actually. I mean, a little bit to do with oil, but there's a lot of unknowns, and I think that 
what we are seeing today is a lot of complacency. And it's sort of this deep breath exhale that, okay, the war's on. We had this idea that, he, that, that barrels were going to get cut off. We've had this, this, this notion, right, that these things would play out the way that they would. And they may over time, but they haven't. And most importantly, if you're 34 years old, 35 years old, and you've been, and you've been in, in managing money, trading in finance globally in a decent level position, you were either exiting college or in grad school during 07 and 08, right? You were, you're a pup. And the only trading mentality that you know is not traditional price discovery. It's the price discovery of the Fed. And there's this mentality that I'm hearing from uh, uh, all of the people that, that, that I'm, I, I get stuck on stupid phone calls with trying to explain things to them is, is this fallback on these things that can't happen. Right. There's this idea that there is not a, that the basement is set arbitrarily by either the Fed or the market or, or these different scenarios. Right. So one point and I am going to make it related to oil just because it is pertinent, but it's, it's not a bullish oil thing. So we go into the two weeks ago, we go into this in, into the trade. Right. I, I've been in it since December. I'm not leaving it. But there's nine and a half million barrels of Russian crude and products that will have landed in the United States since March 1st, nine and a half million barrels. There's four and a half million barrels that landed between March 1st and March 11th, according to customs data. And on the water right now, there's five million barrels pointed towards the U.S. Those include oil and uh, uh, gas oil and uh, other jet products, different Russian grades of stuff, including one or two million barrels of high, sul of, uh, high sulfur oil that's on its way. That is an absolute conundrum, right? So you get things like that in commodities that, 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 that underpin rallies. You get large increases in margin, you know, 32% increase in margin on Brent in three days. Absolutely bust up speculators. Traded the, it, it absolutely changed the way my personal position is on. Um, those types of ancillary things move markets. And I, I want to, and George, I know you remember this. I stood in my driveway in Houston, Texas in September of 2007 on the phone with my brothers and my father and we, and I'm in commodities, they're in real estate. And we had this long two hour phone call and it was about, we knew something was wrong. We knew that there was a problem when you've got strippers flipping condos in Miami with, with, without thinking that there's a problem with this, there's a problem. Well, today there's the same problem. I no no one I know until three weeks or, you know, a week before the fed meeting at, at the New York fed, when they had to decide what they were going to do with Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, no one knew it was going to be Lehman Brothers. Right now, there are so many east-west changes in the way that markets flow. You are absolutely correct that, that the idea of saying I'm going to own it because the old trade works is absolutely asinine. If you go run a chart of the Renimbi, go run it. Go look at what what what. The, what money has done in China, and then go look at their markets. There are things that are happening that are, they're not natural. These, these are things that have happened and you look at them and you say, okay, so what? We came out of 07 and 08 with this idea that companies and corporations had become too big to fail. And, and I posed this on a call today. I said, well, what if we've come under the idea that we're too big to fail? We have a safety net that is unpenetrable, and we've placed this entire reliance on the U.S. dollar and our massive economy. 
And I'm sitting here going, and I'm just a dumb guy, right? I'm a dumb guy from Wyoming, a college dropout. And I'm sitting here going, okay, well, now start telling me about the things I don't know. And there's a lot of them, George. There's a lot of things that can't be explained. That's really the only thing I wanted to point. A lot of it is the outliers. It's the things that are going to creep up on you. It's the things that aren't being said. Um, and it's the things that really can't be explained by history that I'm sitting here going, I'm going to back off on things until I understand. Yeah, Javier, such wisdom. May I ask how old you are? I'm 46. You are you are one of the smartest dudes in these rooms because you have clearly the wisdom of the experience. You just said it. The things we can't know. Can, can I, I want to say I want to I want to say two things before I end. And I really, George, coming from you, that's a high, that's high praise for a guy like me. I'm a knuckle dragger, right? I'm not a finance guy. I'm not managing funds. I, I I just I grind it out every day. All right. There's two things going on in the market tonight that that. That make me say, okay, I didn't know this. One, Argentina canceled all exports of soybeans. That's a global mover for grains. The market's likely not going to respond to that tonight. Why? Because of complacency. Complacency is it didn't respond. Like we, we set all-time highs in soybeans, right? But we've retraced 25% and we're back in this, this, this sort of thing. Markets become complacent and ignorant. So do traders. Um, the second thing going on, and I don't know if this is going to come to fruition, but behind the scenes, there is talk in our government that they are going to start limiting waterborne access to Russian products and Russian ships on the water, not an embargo. They're talking about Panama Canal. They're talking about Suez Canal. They're talking about Black Sea. Guys, if our administration is stupid enough to propose this, it is a significant change in global trade flows. And it makes supply chains, it, it ends them, right? It becomes stupidity. So I, when I start hearing things like this, I go, okay, wait a minute. This is not normal. These ideas are not normal. These people that are responding to crises, they are not normal people. I could go sit down right now in the White House and I could sit there and look at 20 of these things and I could use redneck logic on how to deal with them, I think. And probably come up with some rational ideas. These people are freaking crazy, right? Their responses are crazy. And so if you're deploying capital, and I don't care what platform it is, whether it's credit or rates or FX or bonds, I don't care what it is. You have to look at this and say, okay, the current is changing. The worldview is changing. And you're watching a geopolitical shift that has not happened since the Cold War. And if you knew in your ideas, well, let's just buy something. You know what? I hope you buy it. I hope you buy it on leverage. If you get rich, more power to you. But the odds against that today are begin they're getting slimmer and slimmer. That's my rant, George. I'm sorry, but I just want to I want people to be cautious for things they don't see. That so, was awesome. So so Javier, we're gonna I just DM'd you. We're gonna do a room with you as a speaker because I love the way you think. Um, you have the wisdom of the world and your respect to the fact that you just don't know that's something anyone who's been in the business long enough gets run over and, and it's knowing that we don't know and again i'm going to say this not to not to antagonize or any disrespect towards younger people youth is a wonderful thing i wish i was younger it's more testimony to as you get older you realize you make so many freaking mistakes okay and you've heard me use this line before and i'll say it twice i'll say it slowly i'm not young enough to know everything Again, I'm not young enough to know everything. Experience is the best teacher. You get run over. 
it makes an indelible impression upon you, much more so than reading about it in a textbook. And the problem is, and I can't blame people who have enjoyed, enjoyed the investor class only post GFC because the Fed's completely distorted the markets. All you had to do was buy the dip. Everything's up and to the right. But just open up a, you know, a long-term chart of the market, 100 years, and you'll see that's not the way the world works. And going back to the rant I was on 15 minutes ago about how we had peak everything, and now we're just going to have a little less of everything, that means, to me, it's a more unsettled world and prices are going to go down. And so and then the unintended consequences, how you spoke so well to the point, the idea that when you have supply chain disruptions, the, 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 the mirror image of that, the other side of the supply chain disruptions, is a payment change disrupt, a, a payment uh, uh, chain disruption. Someone's asset, you know, someone's owed some money. Spurbank goes out of business. You know, how many tens of billions disappeared? Well, who's on the other side of that? What European bank is out is up creek with that paddle? Oh, people say, well, the U.S. banks are fine. Well, wait a second. European bank gets in trouble. The bank stocks in Europe are telling you that. The next thing you know, they owe some weight to some U.S. banks. And even J.P. Morgan was supposed to be bulletproof, and it's far away from Russia. Last time I checked, take a look at that chart. A disaster. And so we're in this, in this world of so many linkages, and everyone's engaged in this first-order thinking not stopping to ponder what you were raising, Javier. And it, it, it's stuff out of left field, which is just going to nail people. And, and we, we, we've, we've hardly scratched the surface. The other thing I was going to say is to remind people, I said a few minutes ago, my opinion, this thing in the Russia is going to take a minimum. It's going to take weeks, weeks at a minimum. It could be months. It could be years. It's not days. And one thing I'll tell you flat out, you're not being told the truth by the press. So every time the market rallies hold on some you know, hush thing, well, you know, Macron has a conversation with Putin or the Israelis talk to Putin or this, that, whatever. And, never, and C, you know, CNN is breathlessly reporting that. It's all crap. Complete crap. So, Javier, I want I DM you, you. Please respond to it. I want to come back and do a room with you as a speaker. Thank you for your wisdom. I really appreciate that. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. We're going to go to Uncorrelated and then Gnostic. Uncorrelated, welcome to the room. What's up? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say uh, this uh, Spaces was really great. Well, that's, that's very kind of you. It's only great yeah. because we got smart people in here like Oil God and Burrito and Three yeah. Aces and Javier, and, and they all make it work. So I'm just the ringleader, that's all. So, yeah. um, And you have a great personality for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you got to be a little of an asshole. You know why? <laughs> you know why I act like a jerk? Honestly, like, I know what I do. You, you know, people take shots at me. Oh, he's a boy. No, no. I do this on purpose for a reason. <laughs> I'm actually, not, I believe it or not, um, and, and the reason is, it's not that I don't want to hear. Like, I, I, I'm going to tease my friend Three Aces. Okay, I mean, he can kind of run at the math at times, just like I can, right? But he's a smart guy. But if some knucklehead comes in here and starts going off the reservation on some uncorrelated, you know, rabbit hole bullshit, he's wasting everybody else's time, you know. And, I, and so, there's no right to free speech. There are 925 people in this room. 925 people. So some idiot comes up here and starts talking about, you know, if someone wants, I'm telling you right now, everyone in this room knows this about me. Someone opens their mouth and wants to talk about Ethereum or Bitcoin, I'm just throwing you right out. Because there are plenty of rooms for that. You don't have to come in here for that. So it's not that I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But more importantly, it's wasting the 924 other people's time in this room. So thank you for that, Uncorrelated. Do you have a question? All right. 
you're you're asking me, do I have a, a question? Yeah, you have, yeah, I appreciate yeah. the comment. Thank you. Do you have a question? Yeah, for you on the we, yep. yeah um, Javier, um, what what are your top resources that you, you use to do your research? I mean, I have hundreds of them. I, I mean, I obviously I have a Bloomberg terminal, which feeds me every bit of data that I would ever need. I mean, I, I, can, I can expand upon this for hours. Let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. Let me phrase it a different way. For those in the room that don't have a Bloomberg terminal or aren't professional like you, for the average guy in the room who you're trying to help, what would you tell them to look at? What should they read? What should they follow? What should they look at? Is there a web page they should go to? Is there, is there, should they read yeah. the Wall Street Journal? Like, like, like if you were to try to tell a friend or a neighbor, you know, someone you want to, like, how could they begin to educate themselves about the things you're talking about, Javier? Um, I mean, the easiest thing is, so for me, because my life is pretty much commodity-centric, I don't care about equities um, at all, like literally zero. I look at customs data, and you can go to the U.S. Customs website, and you can look at exactly what we import and how we import it and how much lands and who's doing it. I obviously look at the EIA data, even though I'm not a big fan of it. For agriculture, I go to the USDA data, although I'm not a huge fan of it. And then every country has all of their own informational websites that talks about you know, supply. Um, they give you weekly demand numbers, monthly demand numbers outside of Bloomberg. I also i am trying to think here. Um, I mean, I read basically every periodical on the planet. I, hey, hey, I follow, hey, 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 Javi, I, I know, and I follow some of the bank guys, even though they suck. Yeah, Javier, Javier, I got, I got a great idea for you. You're a smart dude. I love your Twitter feed, and it's a seemingly simple question. I know it's hard to answer. I get asked questions like that all the time. Maybe just give a think about it. Maybe just tweet out. I think it'd be a good tweet for trying to help people. Just tweet out, you know, whether it's yeah, I'll do it. Just tweet out a few things that you think will be helpful. Someone wants to start to educate themselves. I think that I think you'd be doing a real public service to the average investor if you could do that. George, I'll put it together this week and I'll tag you in it. You can send it out with. Cool, me. that makes that's great. All right, appreciate that. All Thanks, right. George. Yeah, who's up? Who was that? We got uh, uh, what is it, uh, Charlie? And then after Charlie, well, yeah, what, what, what happened to Gnostic? Gnostic? Yeah, Gnostic there he is. Gonna, yeah, there. Okay, it's Gnostic's turn. What's up, Gnostic? Okay, Javier. Oh, yeah. Bloomberg Terminal. God, talk about a swamp of information. I spend several hours every day just trying to digest off of that. Um, and people ask where you get your information. It's like, I don't even remember anymore. Um, George, thank you for the room. Uh, your advice is in, in this room. And regardless of anybody gives you shit about kicking people out, thank you very much for kicking them out. Time is valuable. For the juniors in the room and people that don't <clears throat> don't know some of this stuff and some of the history, I would recommend reading a book uh, called A Diary of the Great Depression, uh, which basically runs over excruciatingly similar things back in the 1920s and 1930s. And it was written by a lawyer in Youngstown, Pennsylvania, uh, who wrote it as it happened. It's not the revisionist theory that you get from economists and analysts all the time, but it's what happened day to day and what it looked like day to day. And it gives you the feeling that even though if you look at the revisionist history, everybody says we knew exactly what we were doing and exactly where it was going to go and go and exactly how it was going to work. That's all bullshit because they didn't. They were just playing it by the seat of their pants day to day as they could. And that's kind of what Javier and other people are talking about here is everybody keeps saying we know how to do this, but they really don't. They, the unexpected consequences and un unanticipated results just are not programmable you just don't know what they are um 
So for people in the room that, that want to get a feel for what that's like, I would recommend reading that book. Uh, it certainly opened my eyes when I read it because I thought I was a genius and discovered I wasn't. Hey, uh, yeah, hey, hey Nasi, just repeat slowly the name of the book and the author again, please. Uh, the name of the book is A Diary of the Great Depression. And I can't remember who the author is uh, right now. It's My bookshelf is in the other room. Uh, but if you just look up Diary of the Great Depression, it should that's pop up awesome. on Amazon that's pretty awesome. quickly. That, that, that's really, really good advice, Nasi. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for that. Um, and, all right, let's move on. Well, so wait a gonna, sec. Before we run, yeah, go. George. Yep, go for it. Uh, one of the things that you're talking about when you sit down and do inflation, one of the things that I learned in that book and I've learned in, in my trading career is there's short, mid, long-term issues. Uh, short-term inflation hits one way. So things like supply chain, <clears throat> supply chain inflation hits almost immediately and hits trades. Long-term through money supply is much more disastrous and much more wicked, but it takes three, five, or seven years to get there. Um, and you can plan that. You can trade it. You can do the rest of the stuff. But if you sit down and look at the short-term stuff as though it's long-term, you get really confused. What I like to do is divide each of those into short, mid, and long-term effects and try and, try and remember that the long-term stuff is eventually going to hurt worse than all of the short-term stuff. Um, and I don't always succeed at that. You but know, the other question you know Nasi, that's a really good point because the problem also is the government, they, they'll, they'll, they'll try to fix the short-term stuff often at the expense of and exacerbating the long-term stuff. So you make a really excellent point, really you excellent point. You just took the whole next sentence out of my mouth, George. Sorry. You, <laughs> you literally took the next sentence out of my mouth. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay. So, 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 so fill in the particulars, though, for the here and the now. So what does it mean right here, right now? Like you're talking about short-term and long-term. What does that mean? Sorry, George, you're fading out again. Yeah, no. So, so, so let's apply that to the current circumstances. So, so, so what are the long-term effects you're worried about right here, right now, in terms of what the... Long-term long long effects right now, the printing of money, uh, what's going on is just absurd. And the amount of money that's coming out will have massive inflationary effects in three to five years, which are going to affect assets. They're going to affect, like, when you talk about the market and the market moving, the short-term effects of the market moving is one thing. The long-term inflationary effects on the price of everything in the market is going to be something else. So the long-term projections in, <clears throat> in the market uh, basically say market goes up because of inflation long-term. Short-term, you've got the waggles in between, and do you trade and, and play those waggles in between? The other point that I was going to make is capital flows. And when people panic pre-war, you go back and look at the First World War, Second World War, all of the other ones. When there's a war in Europe or a war anyplace else in the world, money comes into America, and that starts pushing assets to the point that people start scratching their heads and say, what's going on? Houses get too much, stocks get too high, commodities get pushed, anything that, that is accessible for asset purchase in America starts getting pushed up. That sets the stage for essentially what we're talking about on the other side is the short-term response to impacts, known or unknown, tend to drive a longer-term disaster down the road, and it's the longer-term disasters down the road I'm concerned about. The excess money coming in from Europe Pushing the stock market means the stock market gets overpriced. The war basically means people sit down and invest too much in certain aspects of the war. Stocks get overpriced again, followed by a massive disaster. And the overcorrection by the government to fix that disaster only leads to the next one. Really well put, Gnostic. Um, I want you got to come in these rooms more often or talk more often if you're in here because 
I really like the way you roll. You got a lot of wisdom, and 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 I, I thank you for your for your contribution. It's just just terrific. Well, George, but, just do me the favor. If I get yeah. carried away, shut me up. And <laughs> you'll notice the people that have they talk common sense. I let them talk all day, but it's the ones who kind of made me get bored. I kind of stop. All right, let's move on. So, by the way. Um, we're going on 7.30 now Eastern. We all coming up on two hours. Time flies. We're having fun. So we've got a few more questions in here. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, kind of cut it. So everyone who's got their hand up, who's on stage, who hasn't spoken, will be allowed to talk. If you want to talk, please raise your hand um, because we're going to shut – we're going to uh, cut this room off at a certain point here. All right. So let's move on. Uh, we want to hear from Lawfont, um, my good friend Lawfont. Uh, again, he's been, he and Schmuckatelli alone have called this whole thing. It's really sad, but I'll take Lawfall and Schmuckatelli over any, any day of the week. These idiots on MSNBC and in the press and, C, and CNN in terms of, you know, what's really going on. For those of you who haven't heard him, you know, he, a month ago before all this stuff started, he said they're going in as the Schmuckatelli and they updated us a week or two ago. And so Lawfall, I'm curious, um, what's new in your world? What are you thinking? What are you, what are you hearing? Good, good to always hear from you. The floor is yours, Lawfall. Yeah, I don't have too much uh, in terms of an update on the situation in Ukraine. I don't think uh, much has really developed significantly in the, in the past few days since the last time we talked. Um, but, you know, listening to Javier and he's talking about, you know, kids who are 34 these days, have basically like grown up in this, you know, completely different style of marketing from what the, the, the norm is uh, that just really resonated with me. I'm 37 myself. Uh, so just wanted to share a quick anecdote from my own history. Um, I got back from Iraq, my first deployment, it was a 14 month deployment uh, in the fall of 08. So it was really at the bottom of the market. And when you're deployed, you know, you're not paying taxes, you're not paying food or rent or anything. So it's a great time to save up nest eggs. And I'll never forget two of my close friends came back. They each had about $60,000, you know, a year's salary for us at the time saved up. Uh, and one made a big bet on Ford and that ended up paying off really well for him. Uh, he had like a million or two uh, afterwards. And so he left the army a couple years later. Um, the other guy, though, I, I remember him exuberantly jumping up and down about Fannie Mae and saying at 13 cents, I think it was, it can't go lower. There's no way it can possibly go lower. And he dumped all of his 60,000 into that. And then it ended up going to zero. So that was like my sort of coming age experiencing witnessing this happen right around me. Um, and so then over this past, you know, decade that I've been sort of, you know, watching the markets as a retail investor, I've found it so frustrating and difficult trying to, uh, you know, approach the market with any kind of sense of rationality or, 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 or trying to reason based off the fundamentals. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's strange seeing the, the tide seemingly finally start to change, but also for anybody who's grown up in this environment and hasn't seen it be different, you know, this, this whole buy the dip thing you should be really careful about that because it can always go lower than you think it can. 100% Lawfall, 100%. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. All right. Um, hey, George. George, yeah. can I What's just up? ask you a question? I, I wanted to ask Tommy because I was just curious when DeMarc, I haven't looked at DeMarc in 15 years on Bloomberg there. 
Yeah, um, so it's three aces. Tommy's not here. He's he left. Right, but do you know? But to Mark, when you talk about a, a thirteen and to Mark, the question is, how long can it stay at thirteen? All right, right. and that so leads three, to the question: three, three, of, Do three, you know? Three, three aces. Um, we're going to table that for when Tommy comes into another room. I'll just tell you, I'm not a fan of DeMarc. I love Tommy. He's a friend. He has many arrows in his quiver. But I don't really respect DeMarc. I think it's crap. I know other technicians, some of whom have appeared in these uh, in this room, think, think similarly. So I don't want to waste people's time talking about DeMarc right now. All right, let's move on. So, okay, so the only – more questions we're going to have is quite a few or people are on stage. I'm not taking any more questions. That's it. Make the questions tight and short and we'll make the answers tight and short. Cause I want to be done with this room pretty soon. We're going to do uh, MG and then Seth MG. What's up? Hey George. How you doing? Uh, good to be here. Um, you know, uh, talking about like people are talking about like, you know, what's going on generationally. And for me, the things that I always worry about having been through several of these sort of crashes, um, you know, the one in 98, the one at the Asian crisis, then the one in 2001 to 2003, then the 208. I'm, I'm more worried about any sort of credit implosion. And so when I look at credit spreads, they're slowly kind of sneaking up. And whenever I see a situation like the macro situation with Russia and the sanctions and the willy nilly policies that are kind of put day in, day out, you know, without really, um, you know, like uh, Javier kind of mentioned the proposal to kind of restrict Russian movement into the Panama Canal, into the Bosphorus and things like that, which are sort of the completely absurd policy responses that I don't think that we did even at the height of the Cold War against the Soviets when there was much more at stake. So, you know, there's massive unintended consequences to all of this stuff. And so the only point I'm trying to make is that, you know, when, when I was running a hedge fund, I remember people that would ask us, hey, do you guys invest in financials, big money, you know, big money center banks? And, I, and the answer was always no. And the reason was very simple. Um, even people that I knew that were managing directors that worked at, you know, places like, you know, Bank of America, Citibank, J.P. Morgan, they didn't know what was going on a lot of times in, in the big derivative books. There are massive derivative books. There's like time bombs all over the place. You get a three sigma move in anything. There could be a massive disaster that, that, that could happen that is oftentimes even unbeknownst to senior management. And so when you have an incident like this with Russia, with all of the different European banks that I knew were very, very much involved in Russia and in, in underwriting them and writing derivatives, there's got to be a lot of bodies that are buried. And so you're beginning to see that in the credit spreads. And I think that when, when, whenever you see an implosion in, you know, in the credit markets, that's, it, that's where contagion kind of comes yeah. from. And so yeah. that's, that's been my experience. Yeah, 100% MG. Great, great insight. It's just part of the, like, we don't know what we don't know. Totally agree with that. Sorry to cut you off. I just want to move on because I want to wind this room down. All right, Seth, you got a question? Keep it brief. What's up? Hey, George. Uh, always good to uh, listen to these rooms. I, I think it's an extension of what MG said, but I, I work in the credit and the insolvency uh, market. And I think the market at the moment is slightly complacent about uh, the credit blowing up and the counterparty risk across the various uh, interconnected parties, right? So if you look at the news that came out a couple of weeks back, Trafigura, which is one of the biggest commodities uh, trader in the world, they 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 had a massive syndicate loan facility which uh, of 5.3 billion euros right which got refinanced 
And that just shows you the stress in the system which is out there, right? Because they, they would not need to refinance this facility if, if there was no margin calling on the, on the massive commodities trades that, that they put on. Uh, and that's that's just and and what what the market is also not uh, actually factoring in is some of these Russian trades happen through Cy- Cyprus as the country. The Cyprus financial system is entirely dependent on Russian money coming through, and when that blows up, you will see the likes of Credit Suisse, UBS, all these European banks who have exposure. Hundred percent, hundred percent, Seth. It's it's the interconnectivity of everything, and we don't we we yet begun to we've yet begun to figure out. Pre- brilliant, br- I love the way you think. Please come back to these rooms. The reason I'm cutting you off is just because I want to shorten up the room. That's nothing to do with your comments. So I just want to get, we got three more people that are going to ask questions and that's it. Seth, thank you for that. That was great insight. So we're going to do Charlie, Tom, and then Patrice, and then we're done. Charlie, what's up? Hello. Thank you, George. Um, I wanted to add a little color quickly to the theme about uh, Argentina. Argentina's winter begins in about two to three months. The issue with Argentina and uh, limiting exports is because if they want to have a good stockpile of grains, they had to pause so that they could make sure that they had enough stockpiles through the winter. Plus, at the same time, when uh, Argentina in, in, has a very large uh, uh, how do you, a poverty level. I have a lot of people in, in, at the poverty line. So the issue that they have now is that they also when you have the food prices spike that much, you have a lot of social unrest. And so what they're trying to do is first they're pausing. They want to raise the, the export tax, but principally they want to uh, limit the impact of higher prices on uh, the local population. Um, I live in Panama, so I know a little bit about the, the waterways. Um, Panama, yes, is a neutral, uh, is a neutral waterway. Uh, the U.S. Uh, Southern Command Fleet has ships going around in the area at all times. And I would, I would, only, I would only say that if you compare this with Gibraltar, Gibraltar has three countries that, uh, that that really are the ones that have the last word on what ships can go through. And that's Spain, the UK, and Morocco. The United States, if I'm not mistaken, it can recommend, but it doesn't have the last word there. Uh, In Panama, in the case of Panama, they do have a little more say in what can happen through the Canal of Panama, because we all know is the, in the worst case situation, uh, the United States can come back to Panama and take control of the canal because that's part of the arrangements of the Panama, of the Panama Canal uh, Agreement that they made. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's excellent. Thank you for that. Learned so much from all you guys. Everyone brings different insights to the room. It's really wonderful what we're able to accomplish here together. All right, last two speakers. We got Tom and then Patrice. Tom, what's up? Hey, George, thanks for having me. I don't think I've had the pleasure to be in, in on the room with you before, but I uh, love your insight. I know you're a big finance guy. I'm an energy guy myself. I haven't really been able to hear your opinion on the outlook on uh, commodity prices on oil and gas in the next six months to 12 months. I kind of wanted to pick your brain on that and just thought if you believe like me that I think we're going to have a uh, premium above $100 a barrel for oil, which is going to just stay intact because we just can't bring production online. And so what is your long-term, I say like 12 months to 24 month outlook on the market here? Um, Cause I'm thinking that's how long it's going to take until we get 
a lot more crude on the market moving around. So, so yes, so that's it. So the Canadian oil stock, the oil stocks, twelve month horizon, twenty four month horizon, up huge, huge. The shorter you get, is when you zoom in, the more difficult it becomes. Um, you know, my biggest concern actually in the stretch of the oil stocks is it just goes up it's too it's too much and causes a recession. But as as I don't know if we've been in the room, but as Oil God and Marcellus and some of the others were saying, there's no argument about the supply and demand. So I think, judging by the tone of your question, very bullish. But, you know, as Three Aces and I talked about earlier, a couple of weeks ago, took the chips off the table a little prematurely. Now it's not so premature. Uh, and I'm just worried about overall market dislocation. So in the short run, it's very hard to know. But if you said to me, hey, I want to, you know, buy some oil stocks, I'm going to hold it for a year or two, I think I'm going to do great. So um, Can I chime good- in real quick, George? Yeah, go for it. Um, these are always loaded questions for people that do this, obviously the trading side for a living. There's so many different scenarios in play right now, actually more scenarios than I can remember with moving parts. There are scenarios where oil doesn't have a price. There are scenarios where oil caps out at 125 to 140. There are scenarios where oil goes back down to 75. The one thing you have to keep an eye on in this oil market is going to be supply. Demand is not going to go down. Someone earlier suggested a 5 million barrel a day decrease in demand. That's almost impossible. Uh, If you get 1.5 million barrels, I would be shocked. Um, Then you have to look at what you think demand is going to be like over the next 10 years. I think demand rises to somewhere between 105 to 109 million barrels a day, regardless of the greening of, of, of electricity. So for, for me, the long-term play until you bring on supply it's it's a fool's game to say what is that price right there's there's scenarios where we could wake up tomorrow and oil takes a digger and there's scenarios where oil comes in at 150 so you got to look plus, at it in, in time frame just time plus, frame. plus the dollar plus the dollar javier absolutely the Absolute, yeah absolutely the dollar. yeah so yeah so so what i guess and we're time. saying there's so many moving parts yeah 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 so the bottom line is tom i mean it's great for spitballing but the bottom line is with an ounce of experience, we know nothing. It's, it's just, it, let's, let's put this put it this way. And Javier, I want you to speak to this one. Markets are okay pricing risk, but they're not okay pricing uncertainty. And right now, we're facing uncertainty just on an unbelievable scale writ large. What would you say to that, Javier? Javier, unmute yourself. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, I'd say that's a good take, guys. I appreciate that. All right, last, last last speaker, last questions from Patrice. Patrice, what's up? Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, George. I've been listening uh, to you for a little while now. It's very helpful. I have more of a, a question uh, than a comment um, for you guys um, as to the, the vulnerabilities of private assets. So private equity obviously gets marked to model and all that. Uh, but if you talk to any manager, they'll quickly say they have so much dry powder so there'll be, you know, big beneficiaries of, of all this sell-off. Um, my immediate thought to that is always that they've always had a ton of dry powder. Yeah. And the, mark, and the market's always bounced back, so it's worked out for them. Um, so, so it is a tough one. But if anyone has thoughts on how much at risk that system is um, compared, compared to a, or in, in a – prolonged public market uh, so yeah all right, all right. so I, I get great question great question i uh i'm going to lean in the direction i think you were leaning and judging by the tone in your voice the way you phrased the question and i think they're all talking their book 
I think the venture guys are going to have huge problems. All these negative cash flowing unicorns who have to come to the market for more money, they're going to have to do it on down rounds. Uh, private equity, depending on where spreads go and how bad this gets, could be the same thing. So, yeah, they might be able to re- – I was talking to Michael Howell today, for those of you who have been in the room heard Michael. He's always talking about refinancing risk and credit cycles. And so I said, yeah, but, you know, what if you think about it from the standpoint, not of debt, but also just equity? Because we're talking about, like, I- IPOs that came – these all these negative cash flow unicorn things. You don't have a lot of debt, but they're negative cash flow, and they have to raise more money. And the thing is, you know, even if the thing's down from where it came public, you know, individual stock came out at 20, went to 80, now it's at 15. They they still couldn't raise money at fifteen. So the big the bigger answer to your question is I think it's I think it's the direction we're leaning in. I think <coughs> excuse me. I I think I think you put your finger on what's a huge risk, not to the system, but it's one of the reasons I just remain so adamantly negative on you know Kathy Wood crazy type negative cash flow stocks. Uh, as well as things with levered balance sheets, because I think spreads are going to blow out. So I, I think you're barking up the right tree if you're looking for crap. Thank you for that, Patrice. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to close the room because two and a half hours is enough. You guys can keep me. I mean, I don't. I'm not as young as so. Hey, I can't do these 14 hour jobs, but you know, I can do four and five hours. But my partner Susan's going to kill me if I keep talking. So I got to have dinner. Um, let's do it again. As always, I want to thank everyone. Uh, this has been great. So many great contributions here. All learn a lot. All help each other. Um, we are going to do a room, just so you know. I, I'll tweet this out. Um, we're doing a room, I think it's on Thursday, with Michael Belkin. He's someone you've never heard of. But trust me, you're going to want to listen to this. Is it Thursday? I think it's Thursday. Um, I've got to go find I, 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 I sent out a tweet, but I, I didn't set the... Uh, uh, the appointment. Anyway, Michael Belkin is probably the best um, uh, technician uh, that you've never heard of. Um, and I've known him over 30 years. You're not going to want to miss this. I promise you. He's low profile. You don't see him in the media. His, his research is very, very expensive. Tens of thousands of dollars. The only reason he's doing this for us is because he's a friend. So you're not going to want to miss this. So Michael Belkin, I'll tweet it out. I think it's on Thursday. With that, um, wish everyone good night, and thanks so much for your contributions. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.